This is a time of transformation. As old ways fall, men are called to rise, to heal our lives, grow strong, and transcend our limitations. In tribes around the world, drawing on the best of masculinity from all of time, a new day is beginning. This is the Renaissance of men. You are the Renaissance. Hello, my name is Will Spencer, and you're listening to the Renaissance of Men podcast. Different cultures around the world consider different topics taboo, as anyone with immigrant parents or relatives understands. For example, citizens in some countries like Italy pridefully argue about politics as a social sporting event, while in others, it's forbidden to bring the subject up entirely. From my travels overseas, I've had a chance to reflect on this and consider what America's most taboo topics might be. I landed on three. Weight, money, and race. I know that weight isn't a universal taboo because the immigrant Indian parents of a close friend used to remark very bluntly about my previous periods of weight loss and gain. I know that money isn't a universal taboo because I've been asked very directly by German and Dutch travelers about my finances. The first time almost gave me a heart attack. As for race, understanding how other nations around the world deal with that issue is an initiation you'll have to go through on your own. It is indeed an awakening. But back here in America, I grew up with the teaching that you never talk about politics or religion in polite company, and I think that's changed, or at least is incomplete. Because of all the subjects we can talk about as Americans, the three that I listed are actually the most forbidden. Which is a shame, because these issues are tearing America apart. As solar men, we know that what hides in shadows must be dragged into the light, or else it festers and multiplies. But that takes a sort of courage that it seems few people embody today at least in public. With livelihoods and reputations on the line, it's not hard to understand why. Which is why I'm grateful for my friend Jonathan West, host of the Being Husband podcast and previous guest on my show. In our first conversation, we both left with the sense that we had much more to discuss than our short window of time allowed. So through DMs, we continued talking until we determined that yes, some of the things we had to say, we simply had to say. So we're initiating this podcast series called Race and the Renaissance, creating space for a black man and a white man to talk and hopefully model conversations that the rest of you will initiate in your own lives. I know we're treading on treacherous ground, talking about religion, race, health, and more. But we must start having these conversations somehow, speaking truths and testing them against each other in a space of mutual respect, friendship, and most importantly, brotherhood. Take that word in, brotherhood. Many of us casually call each other brother all the time, but brotherhood is beyond acquaintance or even friendship. It's a sense of being on the same team, for the same reasons, and committed to each other, the relationship, and our mutual goals above all. What you hear in this conversation between me and Jonathan is that, a mutual regard born out of an intuitive understanding that we want the same things and a commitment to achieve them. In our conversation, we discuss the ills and dangers of PC culture for dialogue, thought, and our divine image, what it means to render unto Caesar what is Caesar's and render unto God what is God's. Jonathan's grandfather, 
Frank Dozier, who built a house in Tennessee during the segregation era, Jonathan's experience hunting for the first time and how it impacted his life and his marriage. And finally, trigger warning, we dunk hard on cats. So before you jump in, know that this is a full send conversation. That's what we agreed to beforehand. Some of it is jesting hot takes, some of it is sincere, but that's what happens when brothers get together and hash it out. So it's my great pleasure to introduce my first returning guest on the Renaissance of Men podcast, Jonathan West, and the start of our new series, Race and the Renaissance. Hey, Jonathan, it's good to be talking to you again. It's good to be back on the Renaissance of Men podcast. This is... Gosh, man, I just feel like uh, I feel like I went to the presidential suite. You know what I mean? I feel like I'm walking <laughs> in with royalty right now. You know what I mean? <laughs> well, you know, uh, well, thank you. Blood and Rain called me like, the gold standard in the sphere, and I, I read that. I was like, oh man, that's I was true, incredible. <laughs> Look at you, dude. You have a Roman. You have a Roman centurion helmet in the background. Is that oh, what that is? That's a Spartan helmet. That's like this is. Oh, yeah, it's an actual Spartan helmet. Like I can, you can wear that. I got it on. I, I got it on. Oh Etsy. my gosh! I got it on Etsy. Thumos. Just pure thumos in the house. Pure thumos. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) Exactly. Well, I I appreciated reading that. So, yeah. Well, the the first place I want to start uh, is I want to start with something that felt really good that I did today and that was inspired by you. So I want to start asking you how it felt for you. Was I did a bunch of hot takes, and it's been a thing that's been going around uh, with men. Just, you know, Pacific Northwest Gorilla has been doing them and I've seen them around. And then I saw you do yours. I'm like, oh, those were some scorchers I said on my story. <laughs> and you know what? I did a bunch today and it felt amazing. It felt amazing, yeah. you know? So how did yeah. you feel when you did yours? Oh my gosh, man. And it's, it's funny that you're saying that. Uh, to walk in truth oh, is yeah. rewarding. And then to be yeah. able to express that to people. And then not only to have it expressed to people, but then to have people say, wow, like, that like somebody said, somebody told me that was like, wow, like that it upset me and also uplifted me at the same time. Mm-hmm. Like I was a little, it was both of those things. And that's the thing about truth, man, uh, is that it, 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 it cuts both ways. It's not, it's not partial to people. Mm-hmm. And that's what I love about doing those hot takes is that I'm not taking into consideration. You weren't taking into consideration anyone's emotions or mm-hmm. feelings. It was just Boom. This is what it is. Mm-hmm. Right. And the thing is, it's not objective truth. Right. Like some right, of these right. things like Boy Meets World being greater than that. That was mine. <laughs> Boy Meets World is greater than Saved by the Bell. That's mm-hmm. not objective truth, but it was enough of uh, reality for me to be able to express that. Now you can see me. You know what I'm saying? You can right. see me for who I am, what I'm about. You know what I'm saying? What I value. And for a man to be able to do that, it's freeing, bro. Mm-hmm. No PC. Um, honestly, man, as I sit and I think about it, I think that PC it's a hot take, right? Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I think that PC is another neutering program for men. Yeah. Oh, for sure. Is to articulate things in such a way that no one gets offended. It dissolves your essence. Like you're not even you. You're mm-hmm. this, you know, soy automaton claymation of mm-hmm. you, mm-hmm. which isn't real. It's just, I don't know, man. It's, it's crazy. So yeah, I loved it. Felt great for me. And, um, and, and I think to be able to receive, you know, feedback back for people saying, you know, I really appreciate you just sharing that. I, I love your hot takes, right? Mm-hmm. Not even necessarily that I agree with all of them, but just the fact that you are being real mm-hmm. is refreshing to me. Um, so, yeah, I, it, it feels great for me. What does it feel for you? How do you feel about it? Oh, it, it felt amazing. And I agree because yeah. I agree with you completely about uh, 
about PC culture. And I, I think PC, maybe not even PC culture, but like the need to be PC. It's mm. a, it's a form of, I described it once as a form of censorship aimed at thought. So mm. the need to be PC, it's like, it needs, it, it's meant this thought about being politically correct, which actually comes from communist China, like literally from communist China, that phrase. Wow. So yeah. Right. You, that's the origins of it. It works its way into your brain to the point where it's like, I need to be politically correct. So I can't say the things that I, that I want to say, whatever they may be. But that actually goes further back and becomes, I can't even think the things I want to think. And so you mm -hmm. end up censoring your own brain from how you wow. really think. Right. And that's mm -hmm. what, that's what PC is designed to do. It's designed to censor you at the thought level. So you can't even think about saying anything that's that would be mildly offensive. And, <laughs> and so like these hot takes, it's like, yeah, you know, like cats are overrated. I really, <laughs> <laughs> and they are, yeah, they are, they're completely over without the internet, without the internet, cats would be like at least 50% less cool. hundred <laughs> percent. And I have, a, I have a personal hot take, right? I don't think that, uh, cats have any capacity for love and affection. I think you might be right. They're awful. Awful creatures, awful creatures. That is the feeling of that is <laughs> that is the feeling of that is the feeling of cats that they don't necessarily like a dog will just feel love constantly, and a cat will like seems to somehow feel like opportunistic love. Like a mm -hmm. cat will never look up to you and look up at you and be like, "Oh, you're just the sun in my sky." Like a dog will. Like a cat will look up to you and be like, "You have food," and then I'm going to rub my face on you, which marks you with my scent, and you're going to think that that's really loving. <laughs> That's it. That's it. It's manipulative. Yeah, I get that. <laughs> yeah, I think yeah. that's true. Yeah, I mean, dogs dogs can be manipulative too, but it's like, course, but they would just like radiate happiness, and you can see a dog smile. Like, have you ever seen a cat smile? You've never not, seen a cat smile. Not once. Not once. Not once. Not at all. No, no. I don't think they have the, the capacity. I don't think it's in them. No, I don't think so. I'm just killing cats right now. I hope anybody that's listening that has cats, I, I don't think any less of you, but I will pray for you. In regards to that, I'm going to keep you in my prayers. <laughs> it's, like, <laughs> it's like the worst Christian insult. Like, I don't think less of you, but I'll, I'll pray for you. <laughs> in the South, we've got this thing that people make fun of, uh, Southern women, because we're, we're in the Bible Belt. Yeah. And typically Southern women will say things like, uh, you do something pretty stupid. And they're like, uh, oh, bless your heart. Oh, yeah. That's the, yeah. And that's like a backhanded compliment. It's like a... You're stupid, but bless you. God bless you. You know what I mean? <laughs> I'm literally going to spit my wine out all from my room. You're absolutely right. says, I'll pray for you. That's that's effectively what they're saying if they're from the South. That's right. Bless your heart. But you can feel it, though. That's the thing. Is yeah. that like they, they say, it like, oh, bless your heart. It's like, oh, no, that, that just landed in a way. Like, the words that you're saying don't match how I feel hearing them. Not at all. Not at all, man. <laughs> Well, that's, I was talking to my friend, I was t talking to my friend, Dan, uh, shout out Dan. And, uh, he was talking, we were talking about communication and body language. And I was telling him that I, I was down in South America for a while and it was in South America. And I had just come from the United States where I learned that basically anywhere outside of, I'll say the United States, but it, this may just be true for San Francisco. People don't listen to the words that are coming out of your mouth. They listen to your body language and your tone of voice. And if the two are not congruent out anywhere outside of America, pretty much anywhere, they will listen to your body language and tone of voice versus what you're saying. Whereas in San Francisco, they listen to the words that are coming out of your mouth and they don't really know how to read body language at all. So I had to learn really? real quick how to be congruent. Wow. Yeah. That's, that's weird about San Francisco. What do you, what do you make of that? Why is that the case? Oh, 
I mean, it's, it's just, it'll, I, what I said to him at the time was it allows people to hide. So you can ah. lie, you can lie with your mouth, but you can't really lie so well with your body. And I True. think everyone in San Francisco is, no, I shouldn't say everyone, but everyone is like, <laughs> is lying to them. Hot take, yeah. Hot take. Oh, oh I, could ta- I could, I could, how many, how much time you got? I could hot take for hours about San Francisco. Oh my God. Well, make it a post and then I'll share it. How about that? Okay. I think I, I think I already. Hot takes on San Francisco. Hot takes on, oh my gosh. I will actually do that. I will actually do the hot takes just about San Francisco. <laughs> from a ten- I lived there for, I lived in the Bay Area for 20 years. The place is terrible. It's so terrible. Yeah. And everyone's miserable because they're pretending they like it. It's like, oh no, it's this really, really great city. It's, I love it. Oh, that's awesome. That's awesome. Yeah. No so, one likes it. That's no one wild. likes it. It's wild. Well, we've been to, uh, so we've been to California and we've been to only LA. Which everyone that's from California is like LA is a trash pile. But we really enjoyed um, uh, Marina. Was it called Marina Del Rey? We yeah. really enjoyed that area mm-hmm. uh, and Malibu, places like that, kind of yeah. outside of LA. But LA, yeah, man, it's 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 crazy because everybody goes there to like make it in in uh, in Hollywood and things yeah. like that. But when I'm just examining the city, I I, I don't get it. I don't really get it. Um. So, yeah, yeah I, I don't know what to make of that, but. Um, California as a landscape opportunity is beautiful. Like it's oceans and mountains and all that kind of stuff. But it's, it seems to me that there's kind of a, a deadness to it. There's just, it's, it's a dead society of people. Maybe that's a harsh generalization to California, but I just didn't get the sense that there was any real life happening. No, Um, just, yeah. Okay. Well, no, I mean like, so there's, so there's actually two different. Cause I want to be fair. Cause I'm from the South. Right. And so that's, Coming from me, it's like obviously someone from the Bible Belt is going to say something like that. But I'm I'm really trying to be as fair as I can with it, and that's why I'm asking you, somebody that lived there, is that the case with a lot of places in California, particularly L.A. I guess. So my read is that there are actually three Californias. There's Northern California, like like a like San Francisco Bay Area essentially. There's Southern uh-huh. California, which is like San Diego, Los Angeles. In San Diego, people, I don't know if you hate Los Angeles people, but you're still part of Southern California. But then outside of those two, outside of those two regions, there's the rest of California. There's the Inland Empire, I think is what it's called. And that part of California is actually a very, very different. So those two, the Northern and Southern California that I mentioned are very, very Democrat, liberal kind of stronghold places. But as soon as you get outside the cities and you get, you know, you go up into the way North, like up towards the Oregon border, or you go down the central coast, or you go, or you go inland towards Nevada, the culture of California changes a lot. It's so it's just those two cities. And I think the people in those places will say that, Hey, we don't want to have anything to do with those crazy people in the cities. Mm -hmm. Um, But yeah, I mean, but between Northern California and Southern California, those two places have a lot in common as well. And I, I experienced them. I experienced San Francisco as very soul dead, um, mm. especially now. And, mm. uh, and Los Angeles has always been soul dead because it's Hollywood. That's just how it is. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. We're going full send tonight, baby. Full send. <laughs> I'm going to send it. <laughs> I love it. I love it, man. I'm excited for tonight. I, um, I've really been excited about this conversation in large part because I think that you know, you don't, you don't get, again, going back to the PC conversation, yeah. you really don't get people really articulating what it is that they, that they really think about something. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And that, and, and you, you actually brought this to mind because you talked about, maybe it was on our last podcast, um, but about words, maybe it's a conversation you and I had, but about words kind of shaping um, reality in some way. Yeah. And I, I, I've been sitting with that ever since you said it, because I, I, 
there's a lot of theological implications to that as well. And when I sit and I think about the emphasis on us changing speech, changing thought, you're really assaulting this idea of being made in the image of God. If we understand God to be a creative force that spoke everything into existence and then him imparting that on us, when you start limiting people's ability to do that, right or wrong, because the thing is, um, there, you can address something behaviorally and you can even address speech as well, but, but you have to let people say it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? You have to let people come out of the, the closet, so to speak, right. um, with how it is that they view things in order to actually be able to rightly, I mean, frankly, grab the log out of your, or grab the splinter out of your brother's eye mm-hmm. um, because you won't be able to appropriately address it if you don't know really what it is that's going on in that person's mind. Mm-hmm. And you can, there's no really sense of reformation, I guess is what I'm saying, when you don't let people express thought. And so the emphasis on us um, controlling people's speech, right? Don't say that, that's wrong, or don't think that, that's wrong. Seems to me to be an assault on the Imago Dei. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, say That's, more say, say more about the Imago Dei so people know what that is. Yeah, for sure. So uh, Imago Dei is the theology uh, about being made in the image of God, right? So in Genesis, we, we get the picture that, you know, in the image of God, he created them, male and female. Or sorry, in the image of God, he created him, male mm-hmm. and female, he created them. And so the Imago Dei is the theology that we are made in the image of God. And what that means is because a lot of people kind of grasp it. All right, J- Jonathan, what does that mean? Right. What, what, are you, what do you mean when you say those things? Being made in the image of God is being able to create, being able to and really produce. Right. Because humans don't really create things. We just take what already exists and reshape it and refashion it. And that's 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 the distinction between us and God, but it is a reflection of us being like God in that way. The fact that we can reshape things mm-hmm. uh, for, for our purposes and, and for ultimately the glory of God. And so Imago Dei is just the difference between us and animals. It's to be, the, the ability to be able to create and the ability to be able to uh, reason and articulate. Mm-hmm. And if we can't mm-hmm. do any of those three things, uh, we cease to really exemplify the character and the nature of God. Wow. And that so it's, it's, it's really important that we can be able to speak our minds right or wrong um, because there's no way to reform that Imago Dei if we don't get people to express what it is that they think and feel. Um, and if somebody's right, we can't champion that and say, you're, you're speaking rightly. You're, you're exemplifying the Imago Dei in an appropriate way. Mm-hmm. Uh, mm. and, and, and we have to be able to speak. We have to be able to think. Uh, if we can't do that, then then there's really, there's no culture, right? And that's what we would, so backing up again further, uh, with the Imago Dei, you get the creation mandate or the cultural mandate. I think, uh, was that Michael Foster talked about that on mm-hmm. your last podcast? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so, yeah, long story short, cultural mandate is be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth and subdue it, right? And so, um, by extension of being made in the image of God, we also have this cultural and creation mandate. And that's something that exists with every human, whether or not they believe in Jesus Christ or not, whether or mm-hmm. not they believe in God or not. That is what it is to be human, is to be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth and subdue it. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. that's that's what a lot of Christian scholars would call the um, the first great commission, right? We've got that great commission, and then we've got in the New Testament— the other great commission that comes from Christ that says, you know, go out into the world and make 
disciples of Pentata Ethne, which is every people group. Mm-hmm. So first great commission is be human, right? Fill the earth. And the second great commission is now reform and disciple the earth. Mm-hmm. And so what this assault does on language is it actually cancels out both of those things. That's right. And I, I don't like that. <laughs> <laughs> Not a fan. <laughs> One star on Yelp. <laughs> well, you know, it's actually funny. I, I, I work really hard to try and convince people of this fact, but the agenda that we're living through in, in culture, not the one that we're living in the Renaissance of men or in the solar ascension, but the one or, or the second coming potentially that we're leading to, who knows, but the one that we're living through in culture around us is satanic. And I don't mean that in any kind of like metaphorical sense. I mean it in a literal (laughs) theological sense, in the the sense of Satan hates creation, hates God, and hate active, conscious, intentional hate. And the way to get, you can't get back at God, but the way you can get back at God is through humans, God's Mm -hmm. favorite creation. And you can use our free will against us. And so like, I try to explain that to people. It's like, if you want to understand, if you want this all to make sense, you just have to go to that place and then it all makes sense. But people are really, understandably, they're afraid to go to that place for lots of reasons. Because I think probably because of its implications, like a lot of people are really struggling, just as I struggled early on when I became a Christian with, this is the story of the world. Like mm-hmm. we're used to, we're used to thinking about things in this, you know, in this very, I'll call it scientific or materialist way. Like the universe was created and all this stuff kind of happened. And religion is just this thing that humans have just been kind of figured out to try and describe reality. And all these different religions describe reality all these different ways. And there's no essential narrative structure to the, to the universe as such. But if you actually really land in Christianity, really any religion, but if you really land in Christianity, mm-hmm. this is the story of the world that we are living through something that was authored by a hand so much larger than us. And it's really hard to think that way. And this discussion of, of these, these issues being satanic in nature forces you into a place of accepting like, no, the story of the world is authored and we can participate in it. And it's really inc- uncomfortable to get there for people because people, the thoughts start spiraling off in all these different directions of the way they've fundamentally misperceived reality. And, and I get it. I, I fundamentally get it. But at the same time, they're depriving themselves of the perspective of everything making sense for once in their life. It just sure. requires faith. For sure. And I think to your point, the tools to be able to work against it, right? right. Because if you just think, and, and that's what I think a lot of people don't understand is... <clears throat> If you just think about this in terms of a, say, a political revolution, and you only right. think about it on those terms, you limit this to flesh and blood, mm-hmm. right? And scripture has a really pointed point about this. Um, I, b- I believe Paul wrote it. He says, uh, we don't wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, yes. dark forces. Thank you. Uh, dark forces in high places. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so there is a there is a political component to that that he says, because when he talks about the world he means the world system of things like mm-hmm. so p- politics is involved in that but that's not at the bottom of the movement at the bottom of the movement is a spiritual war mm-hmm. yeah. that then has economic social and political implications mm-hmm. after that mm-hmm. right but that's not the root of it that's the fruit of it you know mm-hmm. what i'm saying well um, and so I-, I think that when we you know, everybody's like well we're going to show them when we go to the <laughs> ballot box and it's like, you don't get it. <laughs> you don't get it because the ballot box in and of itself um, is a part or a product, I would say, 
especially yeah. the way that it was used in this last election, whether or not you think it was widespread voter fraud or minimal voter fraud, the fact that it was the fact that it wasn't fallible or, or sorry, the fact that it was fallible mm-hmm. indicates that there's holes in it, mm-hmm. which means that we need to address that, which means that we can't just expect them to correct it. We have to appropriately place faith in something that's greater than those things. Mm-hmm. And that's why I think, you know, kind of you, you mentioned the solar ascension um, and, and the great reconciliation and all these different cultural movements. I think that's why it has to go back to that. We have to fight this as a as a cultural phenomenon because mm-hmm. it is because the culture is most I would say probably the the most directly tied to the spiritual, right? Because you, you as a human individual, you're, you're a lot more apt to deal with spiritual warfare in your own heart and in your own mind than you are at the ballot box, mm-hmm. right? Like mm-hmm. you, you, the, the ballot box is, you know, maybe, maybe a couple percentage points important, but in, in regards to your actual human heart yep. and the hearts and minds of the people that are closest to you, those are the things that matter the most. And that's why I think that understanding, again, the cultural mandate, going back to that, understanding that you're made in the image of God now you can appropriately do what Jesus said do. He said, when they came to him and they said to him, because they were trying to corner him in this in this New Testament, the, 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 they were trying to get him trying to get him locked up, dude. So they, they they pulled him to the side and they said, "Hey Jesus, you know what do you say about taxes? What do you yeah. say about taxes, Jesus?" And Jesus is like, "Bring me a coin." Mm-hmm. <laughs> I love it. He says, "Bring me a coin." And they said, because in their minds, they were like, all right, we're either going to get him as a statist, right? So complete allegiance to Caesar, mm-hmm. or we're going to get him as a, you know, somebody that's rebelling against Caesar. Mm-hmm. Yep. Jesus hits him with, yo, bring me a coin. They bring him a coin. And they said, whose face is on the coin? He says, Caesar's. He's like, give to Caesar that which is Caesar's. Give to God that which is God's. Implying yeah. that the image of God is on you. Oh. So, so you you have to give God what is his, and that's yourself, that's your mind, that's your soul, that is the imago dei that he's imbued you with. So don't give yourself to the Republican Party or, or the Democrat Party, or, or for that matter, in that context, to Caesar's party, mm-hmm. right? Give yourself to God, and all the rest of the other BS that you're trying to figure out is going to uh, properly align itself. But you got people drinking the Kool-Aid of left versus right as though those things in and of themselves have any salvific power, A of all, but but mm-hmm. B of all, cultural implication. They really, I mean, again, and we've talked about this before, politics being downstream from culture. Mm-hmm. So I don't want to go too long on that, but give to God that which is God's. And when you start doing that, the culture is going to start to change. And ergo, the politics, I think, and everything else will start to change. So that's kind of my, that's been my emphasis, man. I... I'm kind of to this point now where I'm just like, I don't even cut the TV on, dude. It's oh, just yeah. like, it's bread and circus. It's shucking and jiving. Everybody's just BSing. And I just don't have time for it. I be I, I, I like doing this, what we're doing. That's I think right. this is much more important work. I, agree. I fully agree. Anything I could do with the ballot box. Anything I could do with the ballot box. Yeah. I mean, you go to the ballot box, what, once every two years? And you're like, mm. you, you know, you... <laughs> Allegedly elect a president once every four years. <laughs> you know, <laughs> the election was stolen. So uh, <laughs> maybe that's too quiet for the AIs full to hear. Sin, full sin, full, full sin, sin, full sin. I mean, it's obvious. It's obvious. You know come what on. I mean? And the only come people. Come we have on. footage. We got uh, footage. 
And the only the people to whom it's not obvious are the people whose cognitive dissonance couldn't actually handle the fact that the real their reality is not what they think it is. Like that's really oh, all it comes down to. For sure. I could, if I really wanted to full send, I'd, I'd rant for the next five minutes about that, but I'm not going to. Do it. Uh, no, Do no, 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 no. It. I, I want to get back to. I want to get to. The, I wanna, <laughs> uh, no, this is not that podcast. There are plenty of podcasts <laughs> about that. But I want to get back to what you're talking about about um, about rendering to Caesar what is Caesar's in the, in the spiritual battle, because you you go to the ballot box. Uh, once every two years, maybe you have yeah. a special election in your state or whatever, but I mean, fundamentally you go once every two years. And really when it comes to the federal level, you go once every four years, really, but you fight the spiritual battle every minute of every day. That's yes. where your vote is, yes. you know, in your thoughts and in your heart and in your actions and in your interactions with people. That's mm -hmm. especially that that's where the battle is fought. And so this idea that you're going to go vote and that you're going to make a better difference, you're going to make a difference in the world somehow when you're being a dick, you know, if, to everyone that you meet or you're treating yourself and your body like shit, you know, like you're sorry, it doesn't, it doesn't make a difference. And so people are mistaking, they're mistaking the, the effects for causes. You know, you look around and it's like, oh, everything, everything's crap. And so I just need to vote different. It's like, no, 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 like, you need to look in the, you need to look in the mirror and you need to check yourself. And what I love about this, this sphere that you're in, that, that we're in this world, that we're, that we're participating in this world of men and also of increasingly of women is that that's the idea. That's the core idea is like, check yourself and check your thoughts, your speech and your actions every mm -hmm. single minute of every day and be better. Not yes. because not to save a country or to save no. a, a, even a race, you know, or a tribe yeah. or anything, save yes. yourself, save yourself <laughs> and the people around you that you love and that you care about and everything yes. else is secondary. And that's what I love about it. Bingo. No, it, I'm gonna tell you. I'm gonna tell you this. This is personal experience. Yep. When COVID happened, it didn't matter who was in office. Walmart was fresh out of toilet paper, dude. <laughs> there was no toilet paper to be found. Yeah. And my wife is not looking to Donald Trump or Sleepy Joe <laughs> to get her toilet paper. She's looking at me, at me, bro. And that's and it's funny. And it's funny. But the thing. But the thing is. That's a funny example of a very real problem. If your wife has more faith in the president of the United States or take it local, the pastor of your church, than wow. she does you. Wow. What have you done to your marriage, my bro? Wow. What have you done to the people around you? You have outsourced the God-given role of leading and being a shepherd or a sheepdog of your family to a man that you don't know. And then you'll you, never you, meet. Then you'll never meet. I mean, I mean, if we really want to go there, you low key, spiritually cucked your marriage. Yeah. Well. Yeah. He, exactly. Yeah. Fair. He is. He. You, Donald Trump or Sleepy Joe is the bull, and you've made yourself the not bull in that relationship. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Or the government he, in general. Or the government in general. Or the or your pastor. Yeah. That's the thing too. That's another piece of it too. Is that a lot of guys? No. Well, I'm I'm going to leave it to the experts. It's like, oh. brother. Brother, you gotta, out. you gotta understand. She's with you six days out of the week. She's with him one day out of the week. And if she trusts his interpretation of scripture over and above yours, frankly, he could be saying some anything that might not be accurate. Mm -hmm. And your responsibility, and this is the thing, when when you look at the actual church, the old church, that was the responsibility of husbands was to be able to correct pastors if they had doctrinal error. Whoa. That was that was that was a responsibility that they had because the church was not this monolithic uh, mega church model where you've got this guy sitting up on high and all the lay people. Mm -hmm. Most of the time it was house churches and you had 
you know, you might have one guy that's particularly gifted at teaching, um, but it was like a group of five or six different couples. So you knew the guy and you could, you could say, Hey man, you know, you might've been off base here on this particular issue, Mm -hmm. but now we've, we've kind of transitioned it to maybe a consumer model say, and we've got this whole cult of personality thing going on. And that's why a lot of people on the outside of church kind of look at us and they're like, dude, you guys just fangirl about these pastors and they're running around doing God knows what with, Mm -hmm. with, uh, you know, different pastors that are having, you know, affairs and things like that. And so I'm saying all that to really boil down to this idea. And that is if you aren't at the helm of responsibility in your own personal life and that of your family, you are spiritually cucking yourself or outsourcing your responsibilities to be politically correct to other people that don't know you or your family really. And And, um, don't care about it either. And you'll be held accountable for that on judgment day. Frankly, you'll be held accountable for that. That's the reality of the situation. That's, I mean, I love hearing this. No, really like that is, that is a, that's a literally like pun intended hot take, but (laughs) honestly, but it's real. Like, like men got to get, the stakes of this are real. And that's another thing that's really uncomfortable is that, okay, so we can talk all about, we can talk all about, you know, the spiritual battle that we're living through, you know, the spiritual war that is our choices and all that. But there's the really real issue of like the afterlife of, yes. of heaven and hell. And that's like the notion, the notion of hell is really, it's really intense and difficult to talk about. And I think part of the reason why is that, you know, we have the, we have this tradition of like fire and brimstone preachers who, you know, it's not, it's, it doesn't come across as a warning so much as I am a fundamentally dark human being and I'm going to make you feel darkness. <laughs> and you know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. Well, there's yeah, a, yeah. there's a book, um, the portrait of the artist as a young man by James Joyce. Have you read, have you read that book? Uh uh-uh, no. So I read that. I read that a few years ago. I just like I found it. At a, I was traveling. I found it at a hostel, um, a hostel bookshelf, and I picked it up because most of the time it was like Hunger Games and the girl with the dragon tattoo at hostel libraries. <laughs> so I was like, oh wow, an actual an actual, an actual book. So. <laughs> <laughs> super, super hot take. To be fair, to be fair, I read the I read the Hunger Games and and, and they were they were they were not bad. They were not. They're bad. pretty good. Yeah, they're, they're pretty, pretty good. good. They're pretty. Good. Okay. So I'm I'm sure the girl the girl with the dragon tattoo was was at least one and a half good movies. So. <laughs> <laughs> so, so I'm sure it was a pretty good book too. So, but I mean, at the time it was like, I would like to read the great literature. What is this modern garbage? Yeah. So yeah. You know, all, the, all the copies of Harry Potter and shit. So no, <laughs> Harry Potter, anyway, I'm not, I'm, okay. Now I'm not going to get that hot. So, <laughs> but there's a, <laughs> I'm just going to get canceled. Like you said, what bro? Oh my don't, gosh. Don't, don't speak on Harry Potter. Get canceled by your own audience, bro. <laughs> if you would cancel me because of my opinion on Harry Potter, just unsubscribe from my podcast All right. right now. I don't want to know you. So just no, I'm serious. So okay. So to back to the book. So um, so in in this section, so it's portrait of the artist, a young man is. It's sort of semi autobiographical story of James Joyce when he was a young man, when he was a boy, growing up as a boy, and then I think he's into young young adulthood when he's like a, a teenager, maybe in his early twenties. But when he's in, I think there's a scene that takes place when he's in grade school, and it relates a. Hellfire and Brimstone preacher coming in. I think it's, it's, he's in Ireland. So it's a Catholic preacher probably most likely. And so this preacher comes in and for like four or five pages, you know, and it's James Joyce. So he's one of the most powerful writers in the English language ever. And so he's, he's relating in the voice of this preacher, you know, this preacher laying out hell for like five pages. 
And it's just wow. absolutely, I mean, I didn't grow up in that environment. I don't think there are too many true hellfire and brimstone preachers like there were in the past. So it's my first direct exposure to it. And it was like, it was intense. It was actually scary. It was really scary. And I think a lot of people get stuff like that growing up and it really, really super turns them off and sort of makes it impossible to even go there and think about yeah. an afterlife like that. And, and yeah. it's, 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 I don't even know how to talk about it. So, yeah. you know, but it's, it's a thing, it's a real thing that you have to kind of grapple with. For sure. And I, I, I think that's, it's something that you do have to grapple with, especially as a man, because mm -hmm. That's really the reality of, of, of life is that there are, there are consequences for, for choices that you make. Yeah. Spiritual and consequences. Spiritual consequences. Yeah, yeah, man. And, and, um, the, the great part about the Lord is that he gives you an out and it's a very simple out. It's not even that you have to live life perfectly. It's not even that you have to do everything right. It's accept his son, mm -hmm. like literally accept the fact that he did what you couldn't do. And that was a tone for all of your screw ups, everything, the worst mm -hmm. things. Yeah. Right. You raped somebody. Right. You, you, you did something horrible in your past. All of those things. He's like, yo, I will take that on if you just take on this light burden. That's what Jesus says. He says, yo, my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Mm -hmm. You're carrying around all this shame, all this anxiety, all this darkness in your heart about what you've done and you're running from it as though there's not going to be any consequences. And I'm here to tell you there are going to be consequences, but guess what? I'm going to give you an out. I'm going to be the just and justifier in the situation. I'm going to hold you accountable, but I'm also going to take your shame away. And I'm also going to take your consequence away. All that I'm asking is that you render to God that which is God's. Mm -hmm. Simple, mm -hmm. straightforward. Easy stuff, easy peasy. You think? You know what I'm saying? Yeah. <laughs> but there's there's this uh, there's this inclination I think in man to, um, be, because of sin to not want to submit to that, and to um, think that he could figure it out on his own, and uh, it really takes it takes a lot of humility to be able to bow the knee before mm -hmm. absolute reality, which is God, right? Truth. You are someone that has missed the mark. You are someone that is worthy of the shame that you've got going on. But I'm going to do you a solid and I'm going to take it, right? To put it lightly, I'm going to do you a solid and I'm going to take that away from you. Mm -hmm. And with that comes a certain degree of strength because now here's the thing. That's the thing that I try to get guys to understand. And what Michael Foster really does a good job too. Christians, Christians ought to be the most swaggering out of, out of anybody For because, sure. the, because the one thing, here's the thing. The one thing that every person fears is death, right? We're getting plastic surgery. We're working out all this. Stuff. We're afraid to die. We're all afraid to die. Mm -hmm. The one thing that we're all afraid of is death. And that one thing in the person of Jesus Christ is removed from us. Mm -hmm. So we can walk around just kind of like, dude, I don't care what y'all say because it's a lie. The only power that you have is the power that my God gives to you. And so I'm not going to give you no power. Yeah. <laughs> I'm not going to give you anything. You, you, you may try to destroy the body, but you can never take away the spirit that's in me. Mm -hmm. And that pisses you off, doesn't it? Yeah. That, makes you, <laughs> that makes you really mad. And I love to see you squirm. And that's, that ought to be the attitude of any man. You know what I'm saying? It's just, dude, who is this uncircumcised Philistine that dares to defy the armies of the living God? I'm going to cut your head off and feed it to the birds. Mm -hmm. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Real just braggadocious, you know? Mm -hmm. And so, yeah, I, I love talking about that because I think that 
that's something that's really missing in in the church is, is that attitude of uh, no no guilt in life, no fear in death, right? Really taking that on and embracing that and just walking around like you're you're the son of a king. You know what I mean? Like just yeah. swaggerly, you mm-hmm. know? So anyways, man, I could talk about that a long time, but I know that's not the whole podcast we're going to be doing. Oh, we, I think it actually <laughs> should be the whole podcast. Well, that was the title of my podcast with Michael Foster. He said, he said a joyful swagger. Mm-hmm. And, the, and the reality is that I remember years ago, someone told me that uh, that what they were explaining who Jesus was to me. Uh, this might not even been a Christian. I can't remember who explained this to me or I might have read it online. He said the three people that Jesus pissed off were the political elites, as in the Romans, right? Yes. The religious elites, as in the, the Pharisees, and the economic elites, as in the money yes. changers in the temple. It's like, come on, bro. That's, I mean, that, like, how could that not be revolutionary spirit? He pissed them all off. He, he, then you are describing like the number of times to actually read for myself in the Bible, the number of times he literally dunks on the Pharisees, like we've got him now. We're going to nail him on this obscure point. And he's just like, shut up. Got you. Got you. And then they argue with themselves like, wow, he just, he just changed the whole world. And these really, really, and these really into, and these, they're not just intuitive. They're like brilliant ways. Like have you ever watched, um, there's a, there's a channel on YouTube, Agud Mater's chess channel. And so he breaks down famous chess games, right? Where he analyzes, for example, like Bobby Fischer, who is a crazy genius. Like to actually look at the way that he breaks these games down and makes them relatable for non-chess players, it's incredible. Yeah. And so he goes into Bobby Fischer and the, geni- and the genius of Bobby Fischer out of control. When you see it, it's like this guy's on some other level. And so I don't mean to compare Bobby Fisher to genius, but that's the closest, <laughs> you know, to Jesus. I get, that's the, the, I get the analogy, bro. You're good. <laughs> that's the closest thing I could think of to see that, to see the way that this true master of spiritual teachings could yeah. thread this needle that no one else could see. Like not only did he throw the th- string through the needle that's 20 feet away, he could even see the needles. Like, you know what I mean? There's something, div- there's something divine about that. And yes. to read that is like, Jesus was a real person. Like it's not a whole bunch of people sitting there 20 years later or 50 years later, whatever, being like, what can we have Jesus say that would be really fucking dope to dunk on the Pharisees? It's like, no, this is what he actually said. Like when you read it, the person of him becomes very, very clear as as a real person. And that's, that's, that's such a cool, cool thing. And when you put your faith in that man and you see what he did and, and why he did it and what he took onto himself, that's where the swagger comes from is like, that is my King. That is my King. Like mm-hmm. he's just, he's the man. He's the man he's of a, all time. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, <laughs> you know? yeah. And we should feel proud of that. Yeah. It's, it's a, it's a blessing to be associated with the God man. That is Jesus Christ. That's right. It's, it's next level to be associated with that. Um, and, and that's, you know, and this is something I think you and I wanted to talk about too. This is kind of, that's kind of been a huge blessing for me as a, you know, a black man or an African-American man is that. Well, hold on. I want to, stop you, right, I want to stop you right there real quick. I don't no. mean to interrupt you. Black or African-American? Because this is a thing. This is a thing. Yeah. And like, is, you it know a what, thing? is it a thing? Well, but just for me personally, I didn't mean to yeah. cut you off. I want to make sure to not lose the point that you were going to bring up. So, but just to mm-hmm. file it away, continue with the point you were making. Mm-hmm. But I want to talk about black versus African-American, because I think that there are a lot of people that don't know what to call someone of your complexion. Let's put it that way. Yeah, so continue, sure. continue with the point you were going to make. I'm a black man and I'm a black okay. man because this is an identity that we've really kind of created. You know what I'm saying? Like okay. maybe you could say African-American a couple of generations back, but at this point, like, you know, there's Native American here, there's white in here, there's all kinds of different flavors in my genealogy, mm-hmm. right? So I can't even really just be 
African American per se. Mm-hmm. Like I've, there's, it's, I'm a hodgepodge of a lot of different things. Okay, so um, it's like a DNA test, or you know about your background, or something like that. Yeah, for sure. And I, I mean, to be fair, I've probably got I've got more African in me than I do anything else. But to to be African American would mean like would mean like I would say the bloodline is pretty potent. Like you know what I'm saying? Like mm-hmm, it's like mm-hmm. like coming you're to America. African. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> And that's not the case. <laughs> that's a, coming to America. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That, that's a new movie on uh, Hulu, maybe. Uh, <laughs> no, it's not new. It's a, it's an old one off uh, Eddie Murphy's. But yeah, anyway. There is a new one that I heard was terrible. Yeah, I heard it's not good. Um, anyways. But yeah. no, black. Yeah, I, I'm okay. a black man. Yeah. Okay. And, and, I, and I say that, again, going back to the point about it's an identity that we've kind of uh, developed is because there's a there's a – and it's so weird, man. Gosh. So that's a part of the conversation. Um, yeah. Because, and Thomas Sowell talks about this. He's a really good author. He's I don't know amazing. if you've ever read Thomas Sowell. He's oh, amazing. I listen, I listen to his talks. He's incredible. He's got a great book called Black Rednecks and White Liberals. You need I know. to read When I, first time I tried to explain to a white person what a black redneck was, he looked at me like with wide eyes. <laughs> but, it, but it's a thing. And yeah. so what, what he, his, his point in that book was, um, we, we associate ghetto culture or, or low income culture with black people as though that's the okay. summation of black people. Okay. And yeah, yeah it's, it's terrible. That, it's awful. It's awful what we've done. Black people associate ghetto culture with black people as well. That's what I'm saying. So yeah. it's not even, so I, I, and that's really what I was getting at. Not even white people associating that black people think, oh, you aren't black unless you do this. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? Yep. Um, or unless you say this or think this or whatever, going back to controlling thought again, mm-hmm. that's a problem. So all that to say, um, you know, when you can actually take a step back as a black man and as any man really, but I say this as a black man, when you take a step back and, and really fully embrace the theology and the doctrine that I'm made in the image of God, there's nothing that any political system, whether we live in the Jim Crow South or progressive America today, whoever says anything about me is not accurate unless I say it about me, unless mm-hmm. God says it about me. Mm-hmm. You understand what I'm saying? I understand so, exactly what you're saying. So whether or not you think we're three-fifths a person or you think that uh, black thought needs to be uh, commodified and isolated to liberal ideology is not true. It's a lie. Mm-hmm. It's not accurate. Mm-hmm. It's not based on being made in the image of God. Mm. And so when Amazing. you can embrace being made in the image of God whether you're left, right, or center, you don't have any claim on my person. Mm-hmm. You don't have any claim on my thoughts. You don't have any claim on my identity. And so you can do what you want to do with that socially, economically, and politically. You can have whatever opinions you want, but that's not true. It's a lie mm-hmm. because God didn't say that. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Yeah. You said that. And so let God's word be true and every man be a liar. That's what scripture says. And so for me, when everybody comes around and they say, you know, Jonathan, you got some, uh, you got some conservative ideas there. You got some white ideas there. Oh, that's terrible. I tell them go to hell. Good for you. <laughs> Good for you. Really. You know what I'm saying? Because the, the, the reality of the situation is that you don't know, you don't know how God has you know wired me and you don't know how God has instructed me to, to think and to act in the world. 
Um, and if you really want to get serious, even beyond just the subjective, how God has called me to act in the world as a Christian, I'm not called called to be divisive in any way. Mm-hmm. I'm not called to look at you as a white man and be like, you need to repent of your identity. <laughs> I'm mm. not called to do that. Yeah. Now, yeah. if you start, for that. You, start, you know what I'm saying? If you, now if you start, you know, doing some, you start lusting or you start getting greedy or whatever the case is, I can, as a brother in Christ, I can call you to repentance in that regard. Yeah. But not because I'm but, white, you know, but not because you're white. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Exactly. And so that's the thing is that I think that what we are doing right now is we're really, I could say a lot, but the bottom line is- Send it. Send it? Send it. What we're doing right now is we're recreating racism. We're reinventing racism. Yes, sir. We're bringing it back to fruition. Mm -hmm. Now, are people always going to have biases for their own? Of course. I have biases for my own. Here's the thing. I think black people make fried chicken better. I think black people season their food better. You're probably right. I'm never not going to think that, mm-hmm. right? You as a white man. And that's or, really important, by the way. Like That's, that's right? a pretty heavy duty. <laughs> you know I'm offended. Saying? I'm out. <laughs> you as a white guy and whatever heritage you've got going on, you probably think, you know what? And I don't know if you're Germanic or, or whatever the case is. I don't like know. Russian, where German, you're... Polish, something like that. All the mix, right? You probably think that, you know, your Nona makes really good whatever the case might be. I, I'm just generalization. My, my grandmother probably makes better <laughs> matzo ball soup than yours does, yes. And that's okay. And that's, look, yo, she probably does. And that's okay. And you can right. think that. That's right. You can be partial. And that's what I think that a lot of people don't understand. Even, and this is one thing that people don't get either, is that being, being partial to one's people group is not inherently sinful. And Paul does this in the New Testament. Paul does this in the New Testament. Paul is like, I really, I really honor the fact that God has called me to preach to the Gentiles, but I really have a soft spot for the Jews because I'm Jewish. He says that. That's a thing that he writes. Like I really have partiality with the Jews, but I've been called to preach to the Gentiles. This is my, this is my mission. This is what God's given me as a mission. And so Paul's wrestling with this thing the whole time. And I don't think that that's an, I don't think that that's a problem and I don't think that it's inherently sinful because you don't see it condemned anywhere in scripture that I can think of. And it shouldn't be wrong. If you, if you, if you're so committed to your own people that you can't actually see a member of another, another people as a person, as an individual, that's where you actually become racist in some way where it's like, I perceive, I am not able to perceive you or anybody like past, past my impressions of your entire group. That's what actual racism is, whichever direction it goes. Like if you can't, if someone, someone of any color is going to interact with me. And I want to talk about the meaning of the white, of the word white later, but let's just say for right now that someone looks at me and says, Oh, I see you as a, as a white person. Well, and that's just how I'm going to see you. Like that's racism, like period. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? And the point that I made to someone on my podcast, um, it might've been Michael Foster, but I can't remember was that look, try that out see how it feels to hate someone for yeah. the color of their skin. See how that works for you. Does it make you a better person? Does it, does it create a burning sensation in your soul? Then maybe it's Dude. not right. Then maybe whatever the TV says, you'll feel yes. there's something not right about this. So try let it out me, go for it. Let me, let me say something to that. Cause I remember that point that you brought up and I immediately thought about, so I was in college and I was studying theology and I actually read, I don't know if you've ever read James Cone. I don't recommend it. Spell. Um, is it C-O-H-N? Uh, C-O-N-E. So just typical no. way you spell Cone. Okay, yeah. James, James Cone, um, he, he wrote uh, Jesus in the earth, the cross and the lynching tree, black, oh, black liberation theology. Yeah, man. I wonder so, how that's going to go. 
Right. So I read that and I had all white roommates that year. And I can remember, wow. dude, I can, I can remember I was angry, dog. I was in a dark place, bro. Mm-hmm. You're in college. Very just upset with them. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? Um, because of what I was reading, I'm reading all these things. And, that, and, and I fully believe that, and, I mean, you've talked about this before, again, going back to being made in the image of God, uh, words, you know, the sticks and stones break my bones, words can never hurt me. Yeah, but also words do have spiritual bones to them. Absolutely. I would say. Yeah, yeah. You know what I'm saying? Like, I think that's, that's obvious. And, and when I read James Cone's words, I know that I had a spiritual, there was a spiritual issue with me in regards to white people. There really was. Mm-hmm, sure. I had to really, I had to deal with that. Um, so anyway, yeah, I, I wrote, I, I read that book primarily to try to understand it. Cause I was actually writing a paper refuting it. Um, because I, I thought that ethnocentricity, uh, in any direction is, you know, problematic, right? And is not theologically accurate, right? Mm-hmm. If we're called to make people groups of pentata ethne, all people groups, and that doesn't, and the prerequisite is that is not repent of your Gentileness or repent of your Jewness mm-hmm. before you go make people, right? It's, right. No, you are wholly a Jew. Be mm-hmm. that. You're wholly a Gentile. Be that. But step outside of your Jewness, step outside of your Gentileness and go make other disciples of other people groups. Mm-hmm. And what I found in James Cone's book was no, unless, and this is a quote from him, unless we reject the white God or the white Jesus, we are not worshiping appropriately is effectively what he said. And who's we right. It, right. And, and it's just the proliferation of that kind of teaching is overwhelming in the black church. Um, oh, I'll just put so it like terrible. that. And it's, so and it's terrible. over and it's overwhelming in a lot of other churches, I think too, you know, a lot of the Unitarian Universalist churches. Yep. Um, oh, for sure there. Yeah. And, and so there's just this, it's cultural Marxism. It's, and you could get into all the different labels, but at the bottom line, it is sinful. Mm-hmm. It is anti-God. Very much period. so. Period. Yep. God period. does not judge based on skin color. God, God asks you to transcend your skin color. <laughs> Yeah. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It seems pretty simple to me. I don't know why that's complicated. It's pretty straightforward. So, and, and, and they would see, and, and the thing is they would actually argue that they would say that, cause you said you need to transcend your skin color. They would actually push back and they would say, well, that's what we're asking you to do as a white man is to reject your whiteness, to transcend your skin color. But I don't, I, I don't think that that's right. I think, you, I, I think well, I will you're do it. To, I'll do it. If you do it, that's the, he's yeah. like, I'll, I'll, I'll transcend it. Let's all, if we do this together, I'm in. Right. But that's not what they're, that's not what they're That's right. Uh, I'm they're, supposed to transcend mine and they get to be exactly what they are. That's, but you that's have to identify. Right. <laughs> you have to identify with the suffering and the marginalized. And when you, here's the thing, those guys have to reject pretty much all of Paul's writing. They have to reject Romans entirely. Right. And the salvation story to do that. Go ahead. I mean, control. no, no, no. I mean, no, no, that's, that's totally fine because you know, when you say I have to identify what that really means is I have to bend the knee to the, to yeah. someone's, to someone's terrestrial suffering. It's like yes. this, this group that we have, that we have, I'm going to use the word prioritized in the historical mm. narrative has suffered sure. so much that you, meaning me, I should bend the knee to their suffering. And it's like, well, if I can look back in history and spot mm. other people's further back in history that have suffered more 
What does that mm. do to, to your suffering? Because the whole SJW mm. narrative is that black slavery, African slavery was the worst thing to ever happen in history, period, yeah. full stop. And and we, that's right. And we need to genuflect to that. And it's like, well, I mean, but if you look at history, you can find several things that are objectively so much more horrifying and like not more, even not even more horrifying equally. Like let's not even, <laughs> let's not even compare the Holodomor, you know, to, to <laughs> African slavery. Let's not even go there, but the right. suffering, like genocide, suffering, servant slavery, indentured servitude, war yeah. has been going on the whole time. So why this one event that I have to bow bend the knee to. I don't bend the knee to your history. I'm sorry to your history mm. or anyone's. I bend the or knee anyone. to God, period. period. Good for you. <laughs> right. Good for you. Good for you. And you stand there flat footed, Will, and you do just yeah. that. I think it's, Seriously. A, well, when I, when I frame it that way, just to myself, I think it's just a pretty reasonable thing that a person was like, oh yeah, okay. Well, that kind of makes sense that like, if you're not going to bow the knee to bend the knee to anything historical in nature, let's not even play the comparison game. If you're not going to bend the knee to anything historical in nature, but to God or not to tyrants, but to God or political leaders, but to God, yeah, that's pushing back on the whole system. And that, that actually makes people pretty upset because that's challenging the, that's challenging the, the inverted satanic nature of what's going on. 100%. And it's, to, to, to me, the theology of, uh, you know, what, what they call the social gospel is, is it's, it's very, um, for a man, it is very disempowering to embrace that. Because oh, for sure. Yeah, yeah. Because it's your, your fault. Your whole, yeah, it's your fault. And it, as a white guy and then as yeah. a black guy, it's like it's you're a victim. You know what I'm oh, saying? There's no, there's no victory. There's That's no right. victory at all. You've been and so hugely you, victimized for all of history. Yeah. And it's, so what do you look like as a grown black man saying things like, you know, I have to work so hard to make people not afraid of me. I'm like, dude, be afraid of me. If you want to, you know what I'm saying? Like be scared. That's between you and the Lord. If you're, if you're scared of a black man, uh, I, I'm not going to, uh, you know, be sad that people are afraid of me. And I'm also not going to be sad that people uh, don't like the way that I think I, I, God made me. Mm -hmm. And God has approved me. I don't give a damn if you approve me or not. And you're not going to work hard to be, care. you're not going to be over work hard, hard to be ingratiating either. Exactly. Exactly. Ex yes. I, I'm, I don't care if you don't approve me on that side. And I'm also not going to work hard to make you feel comfortable with my presence. Mm -hmm. That those two things are between you and the good Lord. I don't have any control over that. Mm -hmm. I don't have any control over that. Now, Amen. will I be, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. I so, do. Yeah, I I, uh, I completely and utterly reject victimhood in general, and I completely and utterly utterly reject the social gospel. I embrace the risen Christ. Mm -hmm. I embrace that I'm made in the image of God, and I embrace that His death and resurrection was to bring me back to that reality. And that's why I can stand flat-footed and say, I don't care if you don't like me. I don't care if if you're uncomfortable with my presence. Get over it. Get mm -hmm. over it. The, the God of heaven has already decided because of his son's death that I am approved and I'm set apart. Mm -hmm. So what does man have anything to do with me? Who are you? 
That's right. You know who, are you, who are you hating me for my skin color or for my ethnicity <laughs> or whatever? Like, I just don't care. You know, I'm still going to be me yeah. and I'm, I'm untouchable. That's the thing that makes you un, that yeah. makes you untouchable in the best way, but it's not untouchable with a lack of responsibility because there's a way that some, some people would interpret that. It's like, I can be whatever I want to be because God approves me. No, no that, there's a lot of responsibility that comes with that. But yes. in the merger of responsibility and, th- and authority, as Michael Foster said, again, shout out to Michael Foster, responsibility, yeah. authority, and then he said ability when you put those three things yes. together you have your joyful swagger you're responsible you're you're you, you know what i mean you have authority yes. and you're able to do it welcome yes. welcome to loving your life welcome to literally loving your life <laughs> literally loving your life and giving god glory in yes. your life god doesn't get any glory when you play victim all the time that's right he gets no you guess who gets the glory when you play victim you get the glory. It's, it's pretty amazing how that works. It's really a reliable way to get glory, you know, in this, <laughs> in this lifetime is to play a victim. So sad. Oh my gosh. Oh my gosh. To, to pretend as though the world is against you and there's nothing you can do about it. And I think about like, I've got a little cousin, um, you know, black, young, young black man. And I think about this conversation about, well, you're never going to get ahead, you know, white, 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 white people are against you. There's a, there's a ceiling, all these things. People are saying this to your cousin. Yes. Yes. And they say it's all black men. I mean, that's just a reality of the situation. And, and the thing that I, that I find frustrating, very frustrating is that what does that do for a young boy? It castrates him. It's terrible. It castrates him. It makes him, it makes him pretty angry too. Very angry. And there's nothing that he can do to become something in the world because he thinks that you are in the way of his becoming. Mm-hmm. But when he can embrace the gospel in the image of God, you were created. That's powerful. Mm-hmm. That means that you can speak and you can act and you can be responsible and you can gain authority simply by embracing that theology one, and then two cultivating those skills to be able to do those things well. So I, you know, I try to be as involved in conversations with him as possible. I don't want him to digest that. Mm-hmm. That's not the heritage that we come from. That's not the that's not the bloodline we come from. Like I can tell you about I could go on a long, you know, conversation about who my dad is and who my grandfathers were. That's not in our DNA. Well, they fought in wars. Mm-hmm. I I tell you a quick story. I'll tell you a quick Please. story. Um, go for my, as long as you my, want. It's fine. My great grandfather, which was my grandmother's um, father. His name was Frank Dozier. And Frank Dozier uh, worked as a foreman in construction, you know, and this is, this, is right, this is not right after the emancipation, but only like maybe a generation or two after emancipation, two or three maybe. Um, and he worked in construction and they wouldn't allow, you know, black people basically to, you know, uh, get, you know, pre- premium wood to be able to build houses. Mm-hmm. So Frank Dozier was working on a white man's site and there was scrap wood left over. Frank Dozier took the scrap wood day by day and he built the house that my grandmother is still living in. Wow. My grandmother is 99 years old. That house has seen five generations of Wests. Cheers to your grandmother, by the way. You know, thank you. I appreciate it. Cheers. Let me pull mine up. Yeah. But what I'm, that's what I'm saying, dude, is that, you got to think about that in the midst of uh, the segregated South of Tennessee. And we've been here in Tennessee, like I said, for five or so generations in the midst of a segregated South in Tennessee, my grandfather said to hell 
with what you guys think about who I am, three-fifths of person or the likewise, I'm going to go grab this scrap wood and build a house for my family to live in. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. The weight of that. No victimhood in his DNA. No victimhood in our DNA. That's what I tell Jaden every time I talk to him. Shout out to Jaden if you're listening. That's what I tell him every time. We don't have no victimhood in our DNA, bro. Mm-hmm. We made it. That's we right. we effing made it, bro. Yep. And that's really like, praise God. Praise God. Praise God that we did. There's some that didn't. There's some that still are waiting for, you know, the great white hope to come and, and save them from, from all vict- from all atrocities that's been committed. But our grandfather said, I'm going to rely on the Lord and the work of my hands and the sweat of my brow to bring about what we need to for this family. And that, that is the way that I, I believe that black people are going to be able to move forward. If, we, if, if we're even behind, I don't even know if we're behind, but if, if we're going to continue in progress, it's, and, and let me talk about this. Sorry, mm-hmm. Please I, I, don't, go, go ahead. Go ahead. I'm listening. About this. When we talk about this idea of white privilege, mm-hmm. okay, when we talk about this, I make people define the terms because that is very nebulous. <laughs> Amazing, what do you right? mean when you say that? And when they say that, you start, well, it's, it's the ability to be able to walk in and do what you want. It's the ability to be able to, okay, all right, so let's break that down. Let's walk it back, walk it back a little bit. Okay. Can they do what they want legally? No. no. So what do you mean when you say that? Well, it's representation. Okay, so what does representation come from? Okay, being the majority of things. Okay, well, well, yeah, but it's not just that. It's also the ability to be able to, you know, get into jobs and get into schools and da 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 Okay, so now we're talking about we're talking about uh, connections. We're talking about economic access at this point. Okay. When you walk it back to that standpoint, you have to ask the question, well, how did they garner access and connections? And typically it's because of a family unit that has developed relationships with people over a long period of time. Mm-hmm. Generational wealth mm-hmm. is not just money. It is connections. And let me take it a step further, Will. This is another piece I want to get into. Mm-hmm. When we talk about old, so I make, first of all, I make them define the terms is the first thing I do. The second thing I do is I say, now I want to put this in a biblical framework, right? Because typically I'm talking to Christians, black Christians about this. What do we call blessing? What do you call a blessing? Well, it's God giving me what I want. Okay, let's go to the Old Testament and see what a blessing was. When Jacob stole the blessing from Esau, what was he actually stealing? He was stealing the father's blessing, right? What was the father's blessing? It was land, right? It was access to uh, men that would watch over the household, and it was connections. Blessing Mm -hmm. is privilege fundamentally. And what a lot of our modern thought has done is we've taken that idea of blessing, turned it into privilege, and added it to white people as though it's something that we couldn't get ourselves. Mm. I see what you mean. As, as if, you see what I'm saying? Yeah, that like some sort of some sort of like white privilege is some sort of divine thing as opposed to something that can be cultivated over time. Bingo. Because okay. all it is, all we're talking about is generational wealth. Mm-hmm. That's all we're really getting at. And but you that, mean generational wealth in terms of like actual, just in terms of actual money. You mean it in terms of connections, like in the terms of like your network is your net worth, like that kind bingo. of thing. Bingo. Yes. And the wisdom to be able to appropriately use it and the responsibility. Because again, going back to the blessings idea, it, 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 if you think about, uh, I'm moving to another family now. You think about David and Solomon. Um, blessing they're, in they're that regard. Cool. 
Very cool guys. Very cool I guys. love both of those guys. Um, but but you, you think about Solomon kind of inheriting that. He inherited the throne, but with that came an army. With that came a responsibility to see about his people. Um, so I'm saying all that to say, in regards to the black community, what we really need to be talking about is not this nebulous, you know, white people have this secret meeting in a dungeon somewhere and conspire to rule all the people. Because that's where, it sounds like that's where we're going. And I don't think it's that. No. I think what it really is, is you have families that start a business, maybe they develop relationships with people. And then they say, hey, you know, I've got excess of these things. I want you to have this inheritance. And that passes down generation to generation to generation. Now, what the now what people would typically push back with me on, they'll say, Jonathan, what about transatlantic slavery? It's like, well, that was only a small group of people <laughs> that had that kind of money in the first place. <laughs> but even if that the, were true in the South, you, you mean in the South, right? Yeah, yeah. There was only so many people that had that, right? And even if that's the case, how can you hold? six generations apart from that liable for the stuff that their great, great grandparents did. That's right. Are you going to retroactively, you know, grab that money? And they would say, yeah, we probably should. That's what reparations are about. And so for me, I'm just like, if that's the route you guys want to go, you know, maybe that'll come as quick as those stimulus checks came, (laughs) you know, but for me, I would much rather go ahead and grow something, build something and then pass it off to my own kids. And, and like I said, um, Start that, start that blessing for myself. That's mm-hmm. kind of the direction that I go, man. So. Mm-hmm. Well, I, I, and I, and I love hearing all that because this stuff is really, really important. It's rarely talked about. So I, I come from a Jewish background. I'm Christian now and I was baptized in September, but I can tell you where, uh, where my generational wealth really, really came from, from what really mm-hmm. made a difference to me is mm-hmm. that I grew up in a Jewish, in a Jewish family with a specific set of values. And one of those values was you will succeed academically and professionally period you do not you do not have a choice like yeah. you will succeed you will succeed in school and you will succeed you will be a doctor or a lawyer or some sort of high performing professional in some regard i didn't fit into any of those molds which is great so it took me a long time to find my way to where i was meant to be but it was really apparent to me growing up from a young age like from when i was like 6 or 8 years old that yeah. high achieving in school was not an option was not an option. Like, obviously if, if, if I wasn't capable of doing it, that's different. You know what I mean? But like, that was, that was one of the, that was like success in school first and foremost, success in my responsibilities. Um, Cause I think success in school translates to success in work. Like, Agreed. you yeah. know, it wasn't like I was growing up being like, you have to do well in your career. It's like, what's a career? It's like, no, you, <laughs> you know, you have to do well in school. And so I yeah. grew up with those values where that, that wasn't an option. Like it just wasn't like getting, getting in, like for me, my family's a little crazy about it, but you know, getting an A minus was not an option. Like that just wasn't going to happen. You know what I mean? Dang. Yeah. Right. And so that's the thing is that I remember, so when I was in college, I lived in the, um, I lived in the African-American or the black theme dorm. They called it the African-American theme dorm, but uh, whether it's black or African-American, like we'll call it. Who African. knows? Who knows? <laughs> right. So, so the charter of the dorm was that it, it had to be 50% of the, of the theme race. And so at my university, there was an Asian theme dorm, African-American theme dorm, 
a Latino themed dorm and a Native American themed dorm. So okay. the charter of the dorms was that they had to be 50% of the theme race, right? Okay. So my sophomore year, due to the way that housing was assigned, I was randomly assigned to that dorm, right? Cool. I loved living there so much. I lived there again my junior year. I had such a great time. And I got to yeah. learn a lot firsthand from being in that dorm. In fact, uh, I became at the end of my junior year. So the second year I was there, they named me the most active member of the non-theme race. And I had a nickname. They called me, they called me White Will. And they, <laughs> and they called me White Will because there was a Black Will. So apparently they were talking enough about me so that they needed to differentiate between White Will and Black Will. Like, which will are you talking about? I only found, you know, I found that, that was really cool. But I learned yeah. a lot. I learned a lot about um, what was going on in, in Black culture at the time. And what I discovered was that a lot of the students there, and I went to a, a really elite university, and what I discovered is that a lot of the students were faced a lot of pressure from within their own community, succeeding academically. Like, oh, yeah. you're trying, you're trying to be white, you know? Oh, Urkel, yes. you know what I mean? And it's like, yes, what kind? Of, that, like, that is some pretty serious. That's a problem because it's, if you, it's evil, bro. It's super evil. It's super <laughs> evil. It's like, what kind yeah. of generational wealth did I get? You know, if that isn't my, my ability and desire and motivation to succeed in school, like mm -hmm. if you can, if, if, if you are, if you are, uh, let's say institutionally or racially or whatever, or, or culturally, that's the word I'm looking for. If you're culturally disinclined to succeed in school by your immediate environment, you've lost before you've even started. Bingo. Bingo. <sighs> yeah. It's, it's the yeah. most heartbreaking thing. And Thomas Sowell gets into that in his new book as well, which is about the charter school system. I think. I'll have to check that out. It's really and, and good. I think that that's, I think you're hitting the nail on the head. And I, and I would even, I would even add a, add a piece to that too, is that's really what's missing. And I mean, we could talk about single, single motherhood and yeah, black, yeah. you know and what whole, I'm saying? Yeah. Bro, the black community homes. and the whole America and as well. What, whole America as well, for sure. And and I think it's a phenomenon that's obviously, and, and that's what I try to tell people is that when we do a lot of these, I call them social experiments, you know, when it comes to, uh, generous, you know, Right. Right. <laughs> let's see if let, let's see if we can incentivize single motherhood. Like, let's see how far we can push the needle with the transgender movement. Let's right? dynamite the bridge. Things. It's an experiment. What happens if we dynamite this bridge? <laughs> <laughs> well, you do those social experiments to a people group that's already at an economic disadvantage, you know, because of, you know, what happened with transatlantic slavery. Um, and when you when you do that with a people group that's already a minority, mm -hmm. you it overwhelmingly disproportionately affects them in a way that it wouldn't the majority the majority. Oh, that's interesting. A friend of mine said that um said that everyone gets screwed in America, but black people get screwed twice. Yes. Okay. <laughs> I, I, yeah. At the time, I was like, oh, I, at the time, I brought up the the scholastic argument that I said, it's like, well, there's some internal screwing that's going on as well. But like, it sounds like you're, it sounds like you're saying that this is actually a real thing. This is the thing that I need that I need to hear about. Yeah. Well. So, put put it like this, like when we really pushed, and I don't know how familiar how familiar are you with like Margaret Sanger? That was the woman who founded Planned Parenthood, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, so I don't like to talk about her so much. She's an evil woman, dude. Yeah, I mean, pure eugenicist, right? Pure eugenicist. And the thing is, her push from a political standpoint was on the basis of feminism and women empowerment. But when you actually look at being a eugenist and what she was really about, again, it's going to disproportionately affect the minority group of people that are trying to upward swing in economic mobility. 
And in order to do that, you have to like mm-hmm. have more of those people, right? You know what I'm saying? Yep, like, so, it. so the idea that we make up, and I think it's like maybe somewhere between 13 and 16% of the American population, mm-hmm. yeah. the fact that we make that smaller percentage up and we have for a long, long period of time, and we've been here as long as Europeans have is a problem. Like we need to, and so at some point, once emancipation happened, we should have been outpacing mm-hmm. <laughs> a lot of different races, and 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 we aren't. And when you That's take, a, I hadn't heard that before. It and when you look at where Planned Planned Parenthoods are, you can kind of start to say, you know what, like, you know, and I'm not the I'm not the sharpest tool in the shed, Will. I'm not the smartest guy in the world, but I live out here in a pretty, you know, white quote unquote neighborhood, like a well-to-do neighborhood. I don't see no Planned Parenthoods here, bro. Right. I see them in the projects. Mm. You're a plenty sharp guy, local- by the way. What's that? You're a plenty sharp guy, by the way. I appreciate it, man. And so I, I, when I see that and I take a look and I say social experiment, and then I see the push for, you know, really embracing, you know, transgenderism and, you know, all these different kind of sexual orientations social experiment mm-hmm. negatively affecting the minority it 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 just it will because they're already in order for us to expand you know and I, I tie it back to wealth in order for us to expand the wealth there has to be more of us it's just the reality of the situation in order to expand we have to have more families intact mm-hmm. that's just the reality sure. of the situation yeah, yeah. Um, and so if we don't have that right if we're if we're encouraging uh, you know, sexual deviance, right? Allowing eight-year-old kids to, you know, mutilate their genitals. You know what I'm saying? Just and allowing alcohol, to, like you know what I'm saying. Like, let them smoke allowing, cigarettes. Why not? Right. And we're we're encouraging you know teenage girls to you know kill their kids. I mean, at some point you have to look at the situation for what it is, and you say, it seems to me like they're trying to out. Every, I mean, granted, I would say they're trying to out people in general, right? They're trying to create, like, they're trying to create a perfect uh, genetic pool, right? That's what mm-hmm. eugenists do. But it would seem to me that that's disproportionately affecting Black people. And I'm not saying that Black people are the victims. So let me say that. Yeah, yeah, I want to no. make that clear. It's not that they're the victim, but it is to say that the marketing towards them is very targeted, very. Mm-hmm very targeted. Mm-hmm. Like even you look at that new vaccine video and that sh- anybody that's getting a vaccine, oh shout out God. to you. You want to get a vaccine, whatever the hell. But what I'm saying is the rap video that Cuomo came out with. Oh, with, with the Run DMC. Oh, it's terrible. Like, oh, what the, what are, what, what am I watching? bro? I've barely, un- <laughs> I have barely uncringed myself from that. I had to unfold <laughs> myself like yoga. I was like, uh, I can't think it's, I can move my arm today. Terrible. It's so cringe, bro. It's so terrible. It's like, and the, the thing is, you know, I look at that. And it's like, okay, I look at that like that is the most preposterous thing I'd e- I've ever seen. And no one could possibly buy that. But it's like, are, 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 are the black people who are watching that, are they buying that? Like, oh, okay, yeah, DMC's saying yeah. it. So yeah, okay, I've got the vaccine. You got the vaccine. It's like, I'm telling you. They are. I'm <sighs> telling you. I'm telling you. They're, now, That's I will so say before a lot of the propo was going on, there's always, there, here's the thing. There's always a distrust between black people and government. That's not going anywhere because yeah, yeah, of the, the Tuskegee, Tuskegee experiment. experiment. Yeah. Yeah. That's not going anywhere. So that's the reality of the situation. But when they started doing a lot of that heavy propo, black doctors coming on, 
the, 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 the video, all of that different stuff coming on the, just the fear, right? You're never going to be able to go back to normal unless you, all that stuff. It's blackmail. It's freaking blackmail. It's, it's so dude, terrible. It's so Holding terrible. the whole country hostage. Yeah. And God knows what's going to happen with that. But I, I just, when you see that stuff going on, you start to get the understanding that what what a lot of the progressives talk about as being the oppression of us is not actually the real oppression. There is real oppression going on, mm-hmm. but sure. it's not in the way that they're talking about it. No. It's, it's, it's in the eugenics way, I would say. That's fundamentally where it's happening. Mm-hmm. Because if we, and, and she wasn't, she made no, uh, she didn't mince any words when she said that. She said, we need to, you know, Essentially, I need to get with the black religious leaders and we need to mold and shape the community in a certain way. That was her goal from the beginning. Mm -hmm. So she teamed up. It's funny. Funny enough, she teamed up with a lot of civil rights activists. Oh, that's I mean, like, oh, just that connects a lot of dots and it freaks you out. It really freaks me out to think about it, dude. But she linked up with, I mean, Martin Luther King, Margaret like Sanger Jackson. Yes, bro. You can oh, go and look at it. That's heavy. And, that's super heavy. Yeah. I would have said like, you know, Al Sharpton or Jesse Jackson. Him or too. Like, Jesse Jackson, him well, too. Well, yeah. I mean, they were like, I can't believe yeah. like Martin Luther King is like spinning in his grave at light speed at the inheritors of his legacy. You know what I mean? Like. I, you know, it's just that all Al Sharpton and Jesse Jackson, you know, have gotten, because I know that they were there with him during the whole marches and that's where their prestige came from. And it's like, I, you know, you can just look at these guys and say they, they, they mimic his style of speaking, but that's about it. That's that's about it. it. You know what I mean? It's like, but for people who don't have a discernment to be able to see through the pretty speaking style, it's like, those are the guys. It's like, well, if you can see through it, it's like, "Mm, I'm not so sure about that. Yeah, for sure. And well, interestingly enough, she never reached out to Malcolm X. Malcolm X never <laughs> would see her. So that's actually really funny. And it's and it's funny, dude, because and I've I've talked to you about this offline. Yeah. As a as a black Christian, if you don't fully endorse Martin Luther King, you're a heretic. Yeah. And I'm I was an American. I, a, for sure. Yeah, for sure. And I'm on the fence about Martin, man. I really am. I I have really send it, bro. Send this one. (laughs) Dude, I am I'm on the fence about Martin. I let me just say this. I feel like Martin was really pining for white validation. And I don't like that. I really don't like that. Because like I said, Wow, that's intense. I I think that I think that what his legacy was, and it may not even been intended to be his legacy because he started talking about economics kind of towards, you know, before his assassination. Yeah. That, and that's, but, yeah. And the Vietnam war was like a big yes. speech. Yeah. Yeah. But what we champion is the, I have a dream. It's, and the it's I an have, incredible speech. Yeah. But yeah. Awesome speech. But the emphasis was, I have a dream that essentially you all will accept me for being black. And I don't like that. Is that, is that an interpretation or is that, is that like, like, cause I, I want to push on this cause this is important. I, I think, I, I think whenever you make a proclamation that I have a dream that one day we will all be, we will all be together in full acceptance of one another. I mm. think it sounds to me like, validation 
and because and, and and even the way he went about it, he went about it politically. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? Like I'm, he went about it from a standpoint of legislation enforcing people to be because look at the effects right after his meeting with Lyndon Baines Johnson what does Lyndon Baines Johnson do he creates the Department of Education and mm-hmm. then he starts to uh, you know desegregate schools and basically force integration force people to like each other mm-hmm. okay and that's not to me that's not from what I that's not organic that's not real right like when you look at you know white folks going to visit Harlem they went to Harlem because they wanted to experience Harlem for what it was. They wanted to experience or something. Right. Right. But it was, it was more organic. It wasn't, you guys need to get along because that's just what it is. It's like they, so they come to Harlem, maybe viewing it as, you know, Disneyland, or perhaps you could say, uh, you know, so if you're harsher, you could say zoo, but at least that scenario. <laughs> I'm not going to go there. No, I'm no, thinking, don't go yeah, there. Yeah, but, yeah. I'm, but I'm saying, like touring I'm saying, and culture, tourists, certain cultural yeah, tourism. Tourism. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> But, but, but they might have – so my point in saying that, just to clarify, is they might have been coming into it saying, let's go see what these black people are up to. Oh, yeah, that but was a the thing. Yeah, but they get there and they actually end up getting cultured and perhaps leaving with a different experience. But when you force people to like each other or force people into an environment, what you get is these racists, people that were already racist. Now they've got this hidden resentment. Now they've got to go underground with a lot of their feelings and emotions. Force integration, you know, against people's individual will, while you may position it as being as being good for somebody. Like, oh no, this is uh, we're going to force these people, you know, it, it, together. Mm-hmm. Um, you like this is for your own good. It's like, well, who are you? First of all, who are you to decide that? Versus right. allowing people to naturally mingle and get to know each other. Because I, I think we could probably make an ev- evolutionary uh, biology case, an evolutionary yes. psychology case, say, case mm-hmm. that different uh, races and tribes, for example, would naturally, as they're moving across landscapes, become begin interacting with each other. Their spheres of influence would cross and they would slowly get to know each other and form alliances, you know, Mm -hmm. between tribes or empires or whatever in whatever culture, whatever continent you're talking about versus like some third party's going to come in and say, hey, you tribe and you tribe are going to smash you together and like sort it out. And that's just, (laughs) that's chaos. That's super chaos. Absolute chaos. And, and, and you gotta as think about it, what the as it would be. Let me just say, as it would yeah. be if you took two families, two independent families, pick anywhere, and you mashed them together, and you just said, "Yeah, you know what? You Spencer family and you West family, you're gonna have Thanksgiving together, and you don't get to meet each other or know each other. You're just gonna all gonna have Thanksgiving together and work it out as you go. Bang, smash. It's like that's Bingo. not how humanity works. You know, not at all. We right. have to have shared. There has to be a shared mutual benefit, and there has to be shared values. And there has to be a, right? a, There has to be the negotiation phase of who are you, who am I, the slow mm-hmm. coming together and the yes. slow, like l- allow it to happen organically over time and trust people to mm. want to get to know each other as Bingo. opposed to saying, no, we're just going to force everyone together because it needs to happen right now. It's like, Bingo. no, no, allow us all to come together in our own time and we will sort it out. We're not stupid. Not Bingo. all of us. So just, just you and I are stupid, but everyone else will work it out. No, for sure. <laughs> We're not stupid. Maybe you're no. not stupid. I'm stupid. Well, I'll, I'll, I'll agree. I'm stupid. But, but I'm going to say this, dude. Like, the, the thing is, what a lot of people don't recognize, bro, is that like, it wasn't 
like people assume that integration was like this great favor for black people and it wasn't. Oh yeah. It wasn't. And here's why it wasn't. You have essentially thriving black communities. Oh, I heard thriving about black schools, thriving black businesses, thriving black churches. And then you say to them, because of our political flex, we're going to bust you out of your community from the people that you know to an unknown community where you're going to get spit on and swirlied and bullied because we want to show the world that we're progressive and that we really champion your cause. Oh, the ultimate virtue signal, right? Huge virtue signal. And so now you've got an entire generation. I've got an aunt right now. I've got an aunt right now that has a hard time dealing with white people because of what she experienced in integration. Hard oh. time. Hard that all makes a lot of sense. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Because you took them out of the communities where they were actually growing. You got to think, Dr. Martin Luther King didn't get his doctorate degree from Harvard. He got it from an HBCU. So the idea that, that people did us some kind of favor by integrating schools is a farce at best. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. An absolute farce. And you can look at examples like that with Black Wall Street. You can look at examples like that here in my hometown in Tennessee, Jefferson Street. Right before they ran, here's here's what's funny about Jefferson Street. Let me get on this real quick. What happened with Jefferson Street is once we got kind of uh, kind of post-industrial, um, we introduced interstates, right? And so it's funny because it's it, the inter- creating the interstate was both kind of like an actual economic assertion, but it was a philosophic one too. Because what happened when they ran the interstate in Jefferson Street is that they essentially you know, stripped all that community from its economic enterprise at that point. A lot of those businesses had to close. Can I, can I time, can I, I want to time out because I want to make sure that when you say interstate, you mean like an interstate highway between Tennessee yeah. and another state? Okay. So when yeah. you, when, when the interstate highway was built between Nashville and some other state, that sort of forced these local businesses connected by a state highways to close. Mm-hmm. Is that, is that what yes. you're saying? It's exactly what I'm saying. Okay, cool. That's exactly what I'm saying. This and is something I know something people- about. Yeah. <laughs> it's, well, and started, you know, and, and, and a lot of this went on too, you know, just when we created interstate, a lot of locals right. and small businesses a lot, just people don't know, a lot of people don't know about the interstate highway system and what that caused. A lot of people got no idea about that. And it's crazy because it was, and correct me if I'm wrong, but to me, it, it, it was a, it, it was a, all right, now we're going to introduce this interstate so that we can trade between states mm-hmm. and basically screw you to the local commerce. Yes, exactly right. This, <laughs> this is right. Just as a timeout, I want to get into the specific story, but so, so Route 66, what people don't know, like get your kicks on Route 66, everyone hears about this. But what Route 66 was, was a series of interstate uh, highways not not understanding the way that we're talking about these big three lane or six lane, you know, sort of sort of freeways, but the series of I guess you might call them roadways in comparison that connected one end of the country through another, where you passed through a series of small towns as you went. It was kind of a long winding road as you'd go from this town to this town, and so you'd interact with the unique culture of each individual state and city and region along Route 66, which went from coast to coast. Okay, so it was a, it was you know with all of its winds following the landscape etc. It was a longer kind of road, but you had a more cultural experience as you passed from one, one section of, this, of the country to the other. Then the interstate highway system came in, and with the giant earth movers, they were able to blaze and bulldoze straight lines through all these country, all these different parts of, of the United States, knock yeah. down hills and mountains, and just go on the most efficient route 
possible from point A to point B. The problem was that the interstate highway system bypassed all of these small towns that thrived that were along Route 66. And so they just skipped over them. So if you've ever been driving on the highway and you have to pull off into this rest stop area and you go to Shell or Chevron and the McDonald's and stuff is there, there's probably a small town that's like near there that's a few miles away, right? But Route 66 used to go through actually the center of the small town. So it was this entire commercial network that Route 66 enabled of all these small towns and small businesses. The interstate highway system essentially paved the way for corporatism to come in. Yes. And, if, and if you would like to experience this firsthand, you can go to the one small town that I know of that is still on the interstate highway system that was also on Route 66, and that small town is Williams, Arizona. It's also the jumping off point for going to the Grand Canyon. So when you go to Williams, Arizona, which is a beautiful, quaint, small town with lots of cool diners and shops and stuff like that, you can take a cool train to the Grand Canyon, et cetera, and it's a really great place, you will actually experience what small town America used to be like before the interstate highway system, because that's the one place in the entire U.S. where the interstate highway system and Route 66 actually crossed over. And it's like traveling through time. And it's this <laughs> era of history. Like if you read yeah. Jack Kerouac's On the Road, that book, which is a classic of American literature, was written when he did a, a travel on the Route 66 interstate um, interstate f freeway system. I don't know how to d differentiate, like the, the roadway, you might say, versus traveling as we would now if I were to go from Arizona to Maine or something like that. I just take massive highways the entire way, and I would never have to stop in Colorado or Oklahoma if I just wanted to blaze on through. It didn't used to be that way. You has to you had to experience each individual and state and culture and small town as you went along. And that was a big, huge transition for America that we hear nothing about. Nothing. And it happened in the post-World War II era, 1950s, 1960s. And that was a huge shift for America when we stopped being individual states and started to become united by a singular highway system managed by the federal government. And now I'm sure you can all kind of hear some parallels to what we're going through now. Exactly. Yeah. It really set the stage, I would say, for what we're going through right yeah. now. Thank you for and letting me go on that little tangent. No, man. I, I think that you you hit the nail on the head. And so, again, going back to social experiments disproportionately affecting a minority group that's trying to economically upward swing. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, when you do things like that, yeah, Jefferson Street was essentially disenterprised. Like it, it, it ceased to be the thriving, booming economy that it once was because mm -hmm. they ran the interstate there. Um, and now people, you know, did business across the, across the way. Mm -hmm. um, and so, you know, people, I tell people that and they're like, Jonathan, what do you, what do you want to do? You want to go back in time? You want, you want to, you know, go to segregated schools again? You want to go to small businesses again? I, <laughs> you guys are small minded. I'm not thinking that way. These I'm simply trying to go together. No, I'm just, yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm trying to articulate that what you view as progress may not have been progress mm -hmm. in the way that you want it to be. It's tough. It's sold to you as progress, but it's mm -hmm. not. No, not at all. And, and, and I think that, um, I think what will really kind of put black America in a position of strength is strong families. Mm -hmm. What will put all of America in strength yeah. Obviously, yeah. you know what I'm saying? It's strong families, father, mother, children, 
um, and those families being productive, having productive households, not just a place where you crash and you do Netflix and chill, but where you actually run enterprise from your household. I believe that. Yeah. I believe that's the way. Um, and, and we see that when we look at scripture as well. A lot of people will say, you know, in, in relation to marriage, and I'm circling back to that, a lot of people will mm-hmm. say, well, you know, scripture just talks about women being barefoot and, and pregnant. It's not, it's nothing could be further from the truth. And Does if you want to scripture say that, <laughs> not at all, not at all. Not at all. Well, it, 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 and typically that's somebody that would, that's not read scripture. Generally, right. that's somebody that's like an atheist that, that yeah. thinks that, you know, Christian fundamentalism is somehow uh, inherently misogynist or inherently sexist. Now I will say, but, but the Bible is patriarchal. That's you, right. You Michael can't get Foster said the same thing. <laughs> it's, it's just true. true. It, it just is. But that doesn't inherently make it sexist, misogynist, all the isms that you want to ascribe to it. Yeah. Um, let me just, that's based inter- on, so let me just interject something real quick that, you know, at the, in Genesis, you know, when Adam and Eve are cast out of the garden, they're both cursed. Like no one walks out yeah. of that situation except for God, essentially, <laughs> you know, with, with a good deal. And it's like, you know, mm-hmm. women, you guys are screwed, men, you're cool. Like, you know, <laughs> you're both screwed <laughs> you know, both in different screwed. ways. Yeah. Yes. Yes, for sure. For sure. Um, and so I, people like that, I just say, you know what, you obviously you don't want to hear what I have to say. So I'm going to let you yeah. believe your atheist, feminist, whatever ism you want to ascribe to. Because mm-hmm. me, you aren't, we don't have the same worldview. We can't even agree on terms. You're coming from the assumption that God is bad and evil and, you know, men leading their households is inherently problematic. So I can't talk to you. Mm-hmm. You're not even open to that conversation. But those that are open to the conversation, when you look at Proverbs 31 and you look at the kind of woman that she was, that Proverbs 31 woman, you, you see that she's she's buying real estate for her mm-hmm. family. She's I'm gonna selling up, wares. I'm going to pull up Proverbs 31 and we're going to read it. Do it. Do it. Do it. Do it. Do it. That's good. Mm-hmm. And I, I'll... um. I'll just say that you, you see a woman that is not, and it's no problem if you want to be barefoot and pregnant, but you see a woman that is productive. You see a woman um, that is working on behalf of her household. And so the idea that you can just, as a Christian, you know, Netflix and chill, it's like, no, your household, at least from a biblical standpoint, the way that the Bible talks about it, needs to be an enterprise of some sort. And mm-hmm. maybe it's not you. Maybe not running a Fortune 500 company or anything, but selling cakes, right? Having a garden, um, you know, having some kind of small business that you run out of your house with your family, with your kids, is it's not a sin issue. It's, you're not, it's not like you're going to hell if you don't do that. But if you want to, you know, have a life that is, uh, you know, biblically accurate and productive, you you would fall in line with that mm-hmm. to some extent, you know. Um, did you pull up 31? I've got to pull it up. Yeah. 31. Yeah. 10. Yeah. Shoot some, shoot some out. It? Okay. Okay. Yeah, read it. By the way, just to, just to play off of what you were saying is there's something really powerful about this notion of economic independence of producing uh, content or material goods or whatever with whatever you can within your own household. So rather than going to work for a corporation or a, or a, some sort of large, you know, multi-state business, you know, to be able to produce something within your own household, like you say, whether it's cakes, which you can bake in your house, or whether it's something that you write, or whether it's, you know, art that you make, or or music that you create, to be able to produce something that generates economic prosperity, or whether you grow food or whatever, 
to do all those things and to be able to have total control over the, you know, I'm sounding communist now, to have total control <laughs> over the means of production in a sense, you know, but rather than some like workers of the world unite in sort of way, like, you know, because he was talking more about the industrial revolution kind of sense, but to be able to say, you know what, I'm creating content and my wife is creating whatever, even if it's content out of yeah. her home and we're yeah. generating prosperity from the fruits of our own labor yes. as opposed to doing knowledge work for some larger yes. business like that's the most that's one of the most amazing transitions that's going on in this world of men that we know that they're becoming content creators and content has lots of different faces to it whether you're doing a podcast or youtube or you know even I, it's hard to monetize memes but memes or blogs or patreon or whatever <laughs> yes you know what i mean yes. like that's really powerful and no one no one can take your creative ability away from you. They can mm. cancel you. You can lose your job or whatever. But if you're like, hey, I'm growing, I'm growing, you know, herbs or I'm teaching <laughs> cooking techniques or whatever it is yes. on YouTube, it's like they can't take that away from you. You become mm. fundamentally uncancelable, especially if you're teaching something like cooking. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's like, <laughs> it's like, sorry, like this is just cooking. What are you going to say? So like, yeah. there's something really important about being able to take your economic success into your own hands and not outsourcing it to some big boss for some corporation, you know, and, and, and how empowering and how powerful that is as a man and as a human being as well. Yes. 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 hundred percent. And, and, and I'll just say this, when you do that right now, because what the industrial revolution did a really good job of doing is that it took the fundamental necessity of men and women out. Mm -hmm. and nuked it. Oh yeah. Oh, completely. Completely nuked it. Right. Cause dad's in a factory, right? So he, his labor is bought and paid for. And for the wife, right. We've got the invention of the microwave oven, right. Well, and the a actual bit later. Oven. Yeah. Right. A bit late, right. Later on for sure. Um, I, point in saying that is prior to that, right. They're working on the farm together, mm -hmm. right. With the She's, sons and the daughters, with the sons and the daughters being a productive enterprise household. Mm -hmm. Um, so I hate to like, basically nuke the industrial revolution, but it caused it, a man. lot of problems, man. It caused a lot of problems, particularly with the breakdown of the, not even nuclear family, right? Cause that, that invention of the nuclear family was a result of the industrial revolution. Prior to that, you, grandma was in the house out back. You mm. know what I'm saying? Grandma mm -hmm. and granddad were in the house out back on the land, on the property. Mm -hmm. So, um, anyways, yeah, I, I, I think that what, this digital kind of age is really providing if you, if you're if you do it right yep. it is providing us the ability to be able to reach back into the best parts of the past and be able to bring those things to bear to make households productive again to make them economic powerhouses and actually really assets right cuz right now it's a liability you have to go away across town to get your paycheck to pay for your light bill as opposed yeah. to hosting a podcast or a cooking show that pays your mortgage for you. You know what I'm saying? Like oh, that's yeah. a better use of your, your house, you know, would you agree with that? Oh yeah. I mean, or you have to go work for a giant corporation that makes you take some sort of like politically motivated, you know, sensitivity training, you yeah. know? <laughs> well, I mean like the great, the industrial yes. revolution, you know, one of the two things that are least questioned, it's, it, there's been plenty of questioning. Like I came from the new age world, right? And the new yeah. age world, talks a lot about the transition from hunter gatherers into the agricultural civilizational lifestyle. What a big mistake that was, you know, because 
And I think there's a lot of that within this um, men's health world as well. It's like hunter gatherers were taller and stronger and they had, you know, I don't know, bigger, bigger teeth, <laughs> yeah, bigger brains, bigger ta- teeth or yeah, whatever. Yeah. And the transition to agriculture, you know, it was a mixed blessing in that it allowed for, you know, you, this, the, um, the specialization of labor where you had some people that were just dedicated to pr- the producing the, the material goods and you had some people dedicated to thought. And that's how you get this economic prosperity where you have the ability to have artists and all they do is art, you know, and so you mm-hmm. get the, the, the Michelangelo's or, or whoever your famous art, or favorite artist is that comes out of civilization, but it comes at a cost for health. So there's a lot of, of discussion about that. But what you don't hear is a lot of discussion of the great betrayal that the industrial revolution and that world war one especially was and the two the two are inextricably linked because for thousands of years literally thousands of years in fact all of human history war was don't at 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 its limit prior to world war one don't fire until you see the whites of their eyes meaning Mm -hmm. you can look into the eyes of the man that you're killing whether with a spear or a sword or a club you know, or even a, a breech load muzzle kind of rifle, rifle, right? You can see yeah. who you're killing. As soon as you get to World War One, you have unprecedented warfare, industrialized death, period. Mm-hmm. Planes and tanks and gas and machine guns, the sort of thing that hum- the human organism in war had never encountered. And it was this fundamental break in human society. In America, we hear all about World War II because that's the founding myth of our of our country is World War II, right. we were the great heroes. We don't ever hear that World War II was actually kind of the second half of World War I. There was half right. time of about 20 years and then we, and then we play the second half. So you know, World War One is inextricably linked to the Industrial Revolution because World War One is the Industrial Revolution impl- applied to war, and so yes. that whole 20, 30 year period, I mean, the Industrial Revolution was like eighteen eighty or eighteen seventy or so. Like, yeah, you know what I mean in America to yeah. to World War One, which is the nineteen tens. So like, so in Europe, the Industrial Revolution happened a bit earlier, but regardless, sooner, yeah, sooner, yeah. but regardless, yeah. like you still have this enormous shift in human society that we just don't really hear about. Like we don't ever mm. really talk about like, oh yeah, this industrial revolution happened. Like look at this wonderful world. And it was happened because of the industrial revolution. Anyway, <laughs> <laughs> it's like, well, well, no, let's think about that. And, and you know, the, the book Iron John gets into this a bit well as well, which you're talking about, which is like, you know, the father's put into factories, the son's taken away from the fathers, the daughter's taken away from the mothers, the farm and all this stuff. It was a huge break in human society that, I think now men like you and me and in this solar sphere, you know, in the Renaissance and men are beginning to discover like, this is not right. And the taking of economic prosperity back into our households, into our own hands yes. is, is super um, empowering. Isn't the word, I don't like this word, but it's I need beyond to, that. It's beyond that. Yeah. Right. Yeah. It's yeah. Like, yeah. What's yeah. the feeling when, what's the feeling when like you feel empowered in your balls? What's that feeling? <laughs> <laughs> It's it's warm. It's warm. Yeah, <laughs> it's very warm. <laughs> I, I think it's, it's yeah, it's beyond that, man. It's 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 a coming home, really. It's I tell you, man. Yeah. Like coming home to your balls is a better way. Coming to home that. to your balls. Coming <laughs> emphasis on coming. <laughs> That's perfect. Oh my gosh, dude, we gonna get in trouble on this. We're gonna get oh, in trouble. I think we're I think we're doing a pretty good job. I no, it's we'll, good. <laughs> I, I think, think we'll I keep th- our bank accounts. Oh yeah. It's, I tell you what it was for me, man, was that first time going hunting. Um, yeah. I want to hear about that. 
gosh, man. Um, to go out into the world and to literally and viscerally bring home food. Wow. Is like, and then, and then not only to do that, but then to prepare it and have my wife say, hmm. You know what I'm saying? Like to, wow. I can hear her enjoying it. It was spiritual, bro. I feel that warm. I feel that warm feeling we were talking. You know, about. in the balls. Yeah. <laughs> it was. It was. It was just, man. I just knew what it was to be human in general and a man, like an actual provider. Yeah. In my soul, bro, and uh, it was amazing. And so, like a lot of guys, I tell guys that and they're like, "Well, Jonathan, you telling every every man he's got to be a hunter, he's got to be whatever. You don't got to do whatever you don't want to do, boss. You <laughs> do right. whatever you want. Yeah, you be you, I'm, bro. You do you, bro. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> but 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 if you want to feel the gratification of seeing to the needs of your family in a visceral way, mm-hmm. whether that's going out and harvesting sweet potatoes or killing an animal." And bringing it back and then cooking it. If you want to feel that and then experience your wife saying, this is good to me, you want to feel that? Oh, man. Dude, I'm telling you, bro. I'm telling you, man. It is, it is something special. It's something really, really special. And, del- and if you want to look at it through the race lens, again, you can't tell me nothing about who I am. Three-fifths a man, or you want to tell me that I'm so oppressed. I just killed an animal and fed it to my wife, okay? <laughs> and you cooked it, too. And I cooked it. You can't, you can't you tell can't, me. You I feel like Kanye West, you can't tell me nothing, bro. You can't tell me nothing, yeah. You can't tell me nothing. That's right. Because I've done the work. I've done the work. I've done the work. Mm-hmm. And she's taken care of. And now, look, and this is, is an announcement. We got a baby on the way, right? Congratulations. Thank you, man. Dude, I appreciate it. She's eating venison that I killed top of this year. My child is eating what I have slain for that kid. Wow. That's, all, you know that's awesome. Saying? That's awesome. Dude, it's, um, it's, it brings a tear to my eye mm-hmm. because it's just like, I sweated for that. You know what I'm saying? And I sacrificed for that. And you don't get that same experience in the knowledge economy when you're just shuffling papers around. Yeah. But when you can if you're lucky, something. you have some physical, right? <laughs> yeah. If you're lucky, you have some physical. But if you, we, man, when you can really work in the physical realm as a man and then bring it back, um, it's just, it does something to your soul. A lot of guys don't get it. Um, and that's fine, but I tell you what, KJ knows what's up. Uh, KJ, shout out to KJ, man. KJ, was it the last name Knightley? I think it's KJ Kitely. Yeah, dude, he's got chickens going on. He he's gonna feel that experience when he goes to slaughter those chickens and then prepare it for his family. When he has that experience, it it it's a fundamental shift, dude. KJ Kitely. KJ Kitely. Yeah. Right. Shout out to KJ Kitely, man. Give him a follow on Instagram. Oh, he's the man. He, he he don't care how you feel about it. He he doesn't care. He doesn't care how you feel about it at all. And I love it. Um, but when he goes to slaughter, when you go to slaughter those chickens, man, you bring that and you prepare that chicken for your family. There is something that God has imbued in you to receive that. You're going to receive that different, bro. 
Mm-hmm. You're going to legitimately feel that in a way that you just don't feel pushing them papers around. Not I'm just going to tell you. Mm-hmm. I, 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 work, I work in a corporate environment. I know what it is to get a paycheck, mm-hmm. but it don't feel the same way than when I drug that dough, threw it on the back of a pickup truck, right? <sighs> I, dude, yeah. dude, there was one time I butchered my own just to get the experience. I butchered my own. I cut it open. I separated the meat. I parsed it apart. And that gives you pause for how much you really eat, too. A lot of people eat a lot, right? If you start hunting your own food or raising your own food, you have an appreciation for that animal and a respect for that animal that you didn't before. So you're not just going to glutton, you know what I'm saying, the the, the food. You're going to take some time and really enjoy that because Mm -hmm. that was work. That took a lot of effort. That was a sacrifice to do that. Yeah. Oh yeah. I mean, like you, you went out there and you had to do the thing. There's mm-hmm. nothing, it's not just going to jump into the back of your truck. You know what no, I mean? Like, no, not you, at you all. know, you had, there's a lot of discipline. I've never actually been hunting before. I had the opportunity to go hunting in, in, uh, in, uh, it was mid November. It was just after the election. I like, I wasn't, I had had the standing invitation. I yeah. think it was in Mississippi and I was, yeah. and things felt really uncertain. It's like, I don't really feel comfortable getting on a plane right now to travel and do it. I get that. Yeah. That was also like the same weekend I did the interview with the howling void on my podcast, which is, <laughs> you know, so it's like, it all worked out, but regardless, so it's like, yeah. you're describing these things that I wish I could experience. And that's like, that's so fantastic that, you know, that feeling of, of on so many different levels, like, let's just, let's just run through all the levels, right? Okay. Yeah. So you go out and you go hunting and you, you kill the thing. Right. And so the process of killing a thing while hunting is a thing because you have to sit in the place and you have to wait and then you have to actually have the skill to kill the thing. You know what I mean? Like whatever it is. Okay. So then you've killed, then you've killed the thing. And let's just say the thing drops dead right where it is. You know, you don't have to go find it, you know, because it's like, boom, done. Okay. That's the easiest situation. And then you have to carry the thing back to, back to the wherever, you know, so you carry the thing back to the wherever, and then you have to put the, the dead thing in the back of the truck yes. <laughs> and then you have to yes. put the dead thing you, you you kill the thing and you carry the thing the dead <laughs> thing back to the truck and you put it you have to carry it back to the wherever and then you drive the truck to your home and then you have to butcher the thing and then mm. you butcher the thing and you have to get rid of all the guts of the thing you know what i mean because yes. you you know and then you i don't know what you even do with those but like let's just <laughs> let's just i mean feed them to the dog i don't know trash right? <laughs> yeah, right maybe you yeah. put them in a trash bag or you know i don't know maybe maybe you donate them whatever yeah. so like killing and butchering the thing is like the actual butchering of the thing is a thing you have to like take the fur off and all of that i don't even know what to do with the fur and then yeah. you have to cook the thing and you feed the thing to your wife and, yes. she's, and she's pregnant and she's it's like that's incredible. Like that's some primal yeah. shit right there. You know what Prime, I mean? Primal, super primal. <laughs> yes. And there, and, and, and you, you made a post. I think you made a post today. You actually been, you've been pretty based on your post here. Right? So I want to give you a shout out for that. <laughs> shout out to Rena Men for being based. <laughs> I don't even think I'm being as based as I could be. <laughs> Dude, he posted something on, uh, uh, I think it was maybe Mike Tyson. He was just like flexing. He's just like, yes, come say it to my face. Da-da-da. And you were like, yo, like essentially like sexual selection, like primal stuff. Evolutionary selection. Yeah. Yeah. Evolutionary selection. Yeah. And, and I think what you miss or what we miss in manicured corpo globo society that we're in is that we are amorphous androgynous beings in a corporate. Yeah. In a corporate space, mm-hmm. you don't get the weight of responsibility and consequences, as you said, as you do in nature. When you actually mm-hmm. go out in nature, here's the thing. 
it's not always a success when you go out and try to kill something, bro. That's right. You might miss. Some stuff might charge at you. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, you might have that. to misfire and get injured. There's all kinds of things that could happen. And so the ability to be able to do that and have something successful is straight blessing. Mm-hmm. It is nothing short of a blessing when you're able to do that. And then to be able to bring it back and to keep it, right? Because here's the thing. So my first dough that I got last year, storm came through in March around here, just before COVID was starting, knocked our power out. All my meat was gone in the freezer. Oh, that sucks. Lost the whole dough. So hopefully the Lord is gracious in this way and there's no storm that comes through this year because I want to keep it. I've got a plan just in case, right? I got some, I got a cooler, I got a dry ice plan, whole whole deal to mm. kind of preserve that meat because the power went out. That's what happened. Um, but that's the thing is like when you live in globo corpo world where everything's manufactured, you don't have to worry about your meat. It's like, oh, like meat went out. It's like, oh, okay, tomorrow I'll go like replace it. It's like, you can't just do that when you just killed something. Like it's not even season. You can't go and kill that deer anymore. Mm. You lose that meat and it's gone. It's gone. You can't bring it back. And in, in before globo corpo world, you're out meat for six months. And so you guys are just eating veggies, right? Like, mm. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Like there's a weight and a responsibility to that. And you, and as a man, you had to have been prepared for that reality. And when we've got kind of many, and I'm not, again, I like central air conditioning, right? <laughs> I like all the entrappings that it, I like going down to Chipotle and getting me a burrito bowl mm-hmm. like the next guy. But my point is that Again, what we talked about before, we essentially have outsourced our sexuality as men, our ability to be able to do, protect, provide, and preside. Mm -hmm. We've outsourced it to the degree that we have become amorphous androgynous beings in the globo corpo world that we're in. Unless we do otherwise, yeah. Unless we step, yeah, deliberately step outside of comfort into hardship. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Shout out to Ryan Mickler for protect, provide, preside. Preside, yeah, definitely do that, and and He's and also man. for hardship, yeah. Ryan Mickler, Ryan Mickler, kind of. I don't want to say he started this, but he started this in the podcast space. I he would did. say everything I know yeah. about podcasting, I learned from Ryan Mickler. I would say Same. that to his face. I say that. Uh, yeah, I said that to him. I sent him in a DM about that. <laughs> did you? Yeah, yeah, for no, sure. It's true. He's a great dude, and he he's the first to do it in the podcast space. And um, he's actually the one, him and my wife encouraged me to hunt. So he encouraged me to hunt from his podcast and things that he talked about. But my wife was like, baby, I need some antlers on the wall. Oh, and your wife loves you. Dude, that's dude, awesome. My, she's a good woman, bro. She's, she's like, I need for sure antlers. a good woman. Put me some antlers on the wall. <laughs> baby, she put said, some she antlers said, on the wall. Like, she, she, said, got it, baby. She, she said, I bet you won't do it. I said, bet. 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 That's awesome. <laughs> I'm going to put some antlers on those fucking walls. You're lucky if it's just one. You're going to regret asking me for antlers on the wall. <laughs> Cameron Haynes up in this bitch. You know what I'm saying, man? You're not ready for it. You're not ready for it. So she she can't, man. She um She's a good woman, man. And and anyways, I, I could talk about her to, to the cows come home, but I just, that's one of the things I think that I try to tell guys as much as possible is, you know, find you a woman that any find you a woman that wants you to be the man. That wants yeah. you to because it needs you to be the man. That acknowledges you, she needs you to be the man. Hundred percent. Because 100%. if you're not the, if you're not gonna be the man, she's gonna have to be the man. And she like, doesn't want to. That's right. She doesn't want to be. 
Most, I would argue, here's the thing, dude, and I put this post, it was a hot take. There are more white knights than there are true purebred feminists. That Everybody's blew me, like, that blew me away. That blew me away. <laughs> I was like, yes, Do that's the one. That? Oh, yeah, for sure. Like, like, like this guy on Instagram I follow, uh, Thumos Wolf. Like, yeah. you know, he, he, I think he lives in the UK. He rides, he rides a motorcycle with like giant and the motorcycle has balls. Like it's incredible. You look at this thing and that thing has testicles that it drives down the street. It's incredible. And so he posted that he had seen uh, multiple, like most couples walking around and the couples walking around that the, the men are wearing masks and the women aren't. And like, this is a big, this is a big buff, burly dude covered in tattoos. And I'm like, yeah. did you just get like, you should just have the right. We should both have the right to go impregnate these, those women <laughs> with their masked boyfriends <laughs> just for the propagation of the species. Like that should just be a thing. You know what I mean? Like if a man is wearing a mask and his woman isn't, and I've, I've seen this too, you know, and yeah. these are not fit guys, you know what I mean? It's like, yeah. And, and so you know, so to see that, like, I totally, I mean, that's where all this kind of idea came from is recognizing that there are lots of white knights out there. Like I'm crusading for the good. And, you know, you know, babe, we should just do what the government says. And like, yeah. that's the, I posted on Twitter. I think it was last <laughs> week. The least sexy thing that a man can say to his girlfriend is, babe, we should just do what the government says. Like, yes. <laughs> you know what I mean? You're saying the same thing. Yes. That was Dude, where that idea came from. No, but you're exactly right. And it's and it's funny because my my wife is very much a rule follower. She's very much type A. She's a she's a nurse by trade. Okay. Um and so, you know, when everything was coming out, she's like, oh, I'm in healthcare, so like whatever. And I told her, I was like, yo, baby, like, like when we first started, I was doing the the mask deal. But when we got to a point where there were like two, three masks, oh, I looked so at her sad. and I said, I'm not doing that. I'm not and doing she was that. like, You're really not gonna do that? And I was like, nah. And she was like, Okay. <laughs> bingo bingo and i think that that's what you have to what you need to be is 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 not you're not pushing the envelope just really to flex you're pushing the envelope because you're like what's in the best interest of me and my family like yep. what's real you yep. know what i'm saying yep, 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 yep. um and you can flex if you want to and you can call that a flex if you want to but the the, the reality is is that you're 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 looking out for the best of your people and yep. when you can do that, it's uh, it makes it makes the marriage something that she can really appreciate. She can really appreciate you in the midst of that. Um, when you're when you're saying that, um, I'm I was read this exact this exact subject. I'm reading Jordan Peterson's new book, Beyond Order. It's I was, it's awesome. It's yeah. awesome. I love. I am unashamed of my love for Jordan Peterson. I yeah. I just. I love reading his writing. I love listening to the way that he thinks. I love listening to the way that he writes. And he's talking about this exact issue. He says, there's a couple paragraphs that I have right here. It's in the first section. It. It's on page 42 and 43. I'm going to read two different sections that I highlighted. Uh, and it's, this for, it's rule one. He says, what supersedes that obedience is not so obvious that it can be easily articulated, but it is something like, quote, follow the rules except when doing so undermines the purpose of those self-same rules in which case take the risk of act take the risk of acting in a manner contrary to what has been agreed upon as moral and then end quote meta rules which might be regarded as rules about rules rather than the rules themselves are not necessarily communicated in the same manner as simple rules themselves and then mm. so imagine three dots as a crossing a whole page quote 
this is not a quote, this is more of him, follow the rules until you're capable of being a shining exemplar of what they represent, but break them when those very rules now constitute the most dire impediment to the embodiment of their central virtues. Mm. Boom. Boom. Mm. Like that's, mm. that's like page 40. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> that's, he, he's a beast, bro. He's a beast. Pure he's beast. a beast. He's and a beast. it's funny, he's well-read He's well read on a lot of things, but he's also well read on scripture because yeah. Jesus Jesus has a similar idea when he says, um, you know, the Pharisees are coming to him and they say, you know, you guys are working on the Sabbath. Is you guys Jesus, are out here. To is Jesus dunking on the Pharisees again? Oh, once again, he, 360 dude, he, tomahawk jam, breaking the neck, <laughs> breaking the legs on him. You know what I'm saying? Crossover real <laughs> ugly. You know what I'm saying? Michael Jordan on him, you know? And he's, and he's like, they're like, yo, you're working on the Sabbath. You're saving people, healing people on the Sabbath. You're not supposed to be doing that. He says, bro, the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath, right? The meta rule here is that you need to chill because God chills on the seventh day. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> man was not made for the law. Law was made to keep man okay. That's right. <laughs> and I will tell you again that G, uh, that uh, Jordan Peterson cites that exact story like a couple pages uh, that a co- that couple pages later. Yeah, and and uh, he cites that exact. Uh, let's see. Let me see. All biblical citations from the King James Version. He talks about Jesus, you know, breaking the rules. The Jesus family journeying to Jerusalem. To Luke two. 42 to 52 like he's su- and i won't read it you know you can look it up but like to your point like that's the exact same thing is that jesus says that very thing it's like the pharisees are like you're not supposed to work on on the sabbath <laughs> and jesus is like i'm doing god's work on the sabbath like chill out you know chill like out. <laughs> you know like because oh because he heals the man i think it's with leprosy or something yes. like that it's like what are you doing healing the man on the sabbath it's like shut up <laughs> <laughs> this is about people, bro. That's you right. don't get that. And that's the thing. That's the thing that people miss about all of the stuff that's going on in the world is that you got to get out of your idea of how you think stuff is supposed to go. Oh, yeah. And you got to get to the humanity of stuff, bro. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. We're out here like really thinking that all the stuff that we're doing is good. And you got people offing themselves, literally committing actual suicide because of everything that we've all the restrictions that we've got going on yeah depression's up all kind of stuff bro and so you have to ask the question is like all right we we did this for public health how's that working for us it's not period because <laughs> it was never about public health exactly because if and i that's, were, yeah go ahead, i agree sorry. with that no, well, you're good. I agree well, with that. Look, if it was about public health, you would have the officials doing things to increase public health, but staying home and closing the gyms and telling people to stay inside and not see their family. And, you know, everyone's watching Netflix and drinking tap water and all that stuff is just like, and ordering in and closing the grocery stores, like all that stuff does nothing for public health, period. There's a great, there's a book, um, Ivan Ilyich, The Limits to Medicine. And uh, this has been on my list for a really long time. The subtitle of the book is The Medical Expropriation of Health. And it wasn't until recently that I understood how important that subtitle is because the, the way that this game has worked is <clears throat> health used to be something that was naturally created by our bodies with our immune system, mm-hmm. by our own drive for homeostasis. Our mm-hmm. bodies are naturally self-correcting to health if you just get everything out of their way. Like for example, if you break your leg, God forbid, knock on wood, if you break mm-hmm. your leg, 
When you set the cast on your leg, the cast is not what heals your leg. The cast <laughs> just removes, the cast doesn't do anything. It just removes the impediments to your body naturally healing itself because yes. that's what the body wants to do. Okay. So the medical system has expropriated health to say, Health is what we do to you. Your body is fundamentally broken and you interact mm. with the quote unquote healthcare system to come and give you health. That's mm. not how it works. Your mm -hmm. body naturally tends towards health if you do the things that create health. And what you're actually dealing with, what's called the healthcare system, is in fact a war on illness system. If you mm -hmm. think of the health, the quote unquote healthcare system as the war on illness system, you get a much clearer picture of what's going on. The term mm -hmm. healthcare system is a misnomer, nomer. it's a distortion, it's a lie, it's propaganda. Your body has a healthcare system inside it already. And you mm -hmm. can know what those things are because they're pretty simple. Drink mm -hmm. clean water, breathe clean air, enjoy time in the sunshine, exercise, keep your weight down to a reasonable level, do vigorous, like li incline bench period. Incline bench incline period. Bench, you know what I mean? <laughs> shout out to Ajak. <laughs> shout out to Ajak, right? Who brought us all together. You know, yeah. spend time with your loved ones. You know, read a book. These things are not complicated. It's never been complicated. But this idea that you have to engage with some sort of medical system that tells you what health is, is a trick that's been played on the minds of people to say, you can be obese and you can eat fast food and you can do all these things. And then you just come to our system and you will get health from our system. That's a <laughs> lie. Health comes from within you. Health come in this book kind of goes in, goes into that, although maybe not in the terms that I'm describing. And so in, in the same way, like we've had our, we've had our very health taken from us when our bodies naturally want to be healthy, if we just get out of our own way. And that's the saddest thing. For sure. Well, and it doesn't make for a profitable bottom line either when you when you start talking about stuff like that. So oh, that's yeah. really at the bottom. That's what this is all about. Mm -hmm. At the bottom of it all is about uh, the Wait, you're not a conspiracy theorist, are you? Uh, yes. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not. Here's the thing. I just know business, bro. I oh, get yeah, for sure. I understand how business models work. And so if you, here's the thing, I used to work for a company and we used to have, obviously we had products that people would buy once a year, but we had products that we called Q products and Q products were products that were consumable, usable, and edible. And so we would put those at the front of the store mm -hmm, because sure. those products are the things that people will regularly buy. Mm -hmm, yeah. Like they're only going to buy this one big ticket item once a year, but they're going to buy this food essentially every day, mm -hmm. every week. And so if I'm going to create a system where I can make the most amount of money, what am I going to do? Well, I'm going to set up a system where I've got people regularly using my stuff, not the stuff that's used every once in a while. So the idea behind that is, is okay, well, if we can keep people sick relatively, then we can give them drugs quite a bit. Sure. And Absolutely. that's the way that that system works. Mm -hmm. And people, you try to talk to pharmacists about this. You try to talk to people that are in the industry and it's during the headlights because they, they 
either don't want to receive it or know that it's true, but there's too much cognitive dissonance with it. Like, like they don't want to believe oh, yeah. that it's designed the way that it is, but it is designed the way that it is. Mm-hmm. It's what it is, bro. You're, yeah. You don't have a headache because your body lacks aspirin. You're dehydrated. <laughs> well you need said. to go to bed. You yeah. know what I'm saying? Yeah, yeah, yeah. You uh, need to go to bed or you need to drink water. That's you know incredible. what I'm saying? Yeah, well said. <laughs> well said. <laughs> you know, so, I, it, go ahead. Go ahead. No, you're good. I well, got it. So the thing is, so I, 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 I have a bunch of different things that I want to touch on. But the, the thing that I have in my mind is, okay, so let's just, let's just pretend that we're lucky enough that some uh, blue check mark is listening to this recording, you know, on Twitter. Oh, gosh. And, lucky and, enough. Right. And it's, a, it's like, here's, here's, a, here's a black man and here's a white man having a very open conversation about a lot of subjects and finding agreement on a whole lot of things, right? Mm-hmm. So, so some, of these, some of these blue check marks might say, Jonathan, you know, you've just internalized white supremacy. Oh, yes. What do you have to say to this blue check mark who's accusing you, that who's, who would essentially be saying that the reason why we agree on anything is just because I'm coming from, you know, me as the white person is coming, coming from a white supremacist, supremacist position, and that you as a black person are agreeing with me because you've, it's, it's ultimately insulting to you, but what hmm. would you say to someone who would say that to you? Go to hell. <laughs> and everybody you came with could go to hell too. Look, man, look, here's the, here's, here's the deal. Here's here's the here's the bottom line. I agree with Jonathan. You can go to hell. <laughs> go to hell. You know, I'm I'm not dumb, bro. Is the bottom line. Like I'm not I'm not silly. Um, I'm not unwise. I'm not uneducated. I went to the same schools that I went to private school for all my high school. I went to private school for my college. So I, I'm I'm not unaware of racism. I'm not unaware of, of, uh, you know, ideas that you say that white people have. The reality of the situation is that if you think that ideas are relegated in the realm of race and in the terms of race, then you're the actual racist. Amen. You're the actual racist. Because you've decided that some ideas belong with black people and some ideas belong with white people and you better stay in your corner. Mm. That's the best thing for you to do. And that's why I say to that blue check mark, you can go to hell. You and everybody you came with can go to hell. Because at the end of the day, again, I'm made in the image of God and I believe that. And so I'm going to take whatever idea that is most aligned with God's reality and that is most advantageous for me and my family. And I'm going to run with that. And if you've got a problem with that, if I'm not being black enough for you, then, you know, you can kiss my ass. Kiss my black ass. (laughs) You know what I'm saying? Yeah. It's just, it's, uh, I don't have time for people like that. I dealt with a lot of those when I was in college and I've, I've dealt with that, you know, for a large part of my life. And at this point where I'm at, I've got a family to provide for. I've got a kid on the way, you know, and, and a wife that, that loves me dearly. Mm-hmm. And, um, smoke show, you know, smoke show. Yeah. Yeah. So like, I just don't have time to care. I just don't have time to care. So, you know, if you, if you come, if you come at me with that kind of energy, um, you better be ready to do one of two things. Uh, you better be ready to well articulate your position. But before that, you got to post physique. 
That's right. You have to post physique. You have to post physique on your Twitter account with your blue check. Let's see it. <laughs> oh, man. for real though. That's I'm Ted dead serious. I'm dead. I I don't mince words. I'm so serious about that. That's right. Oh man, I hate to I hate to bounce again. Um, I'm about to have to bounce. This has been okay. good. This has been great. We have to do this again. I'm down to do it as many times as you. Are people going to get tired of me coming over here, man? No, I don't think so. Okay, cool. Uh, I would cool. imagine that there are a few people listening who feel like me, like, like oh, man, like, I got to go. Like, I could listen to this for another four hours. <laughs> I was going to say, man, if if if, uh, if anybody has an issue, let let Will know, and I won't come back on here again. But me and Will, you got to come down to Tennessee, man. Me I'm coming you, down to Tennessee, for sure. Let me know. One of my best you, friends lives in Tri-Cities. Does he? Yeah. Dude, come down. Me and you are going to just, and maybe we'll do a live podcast when you come down. Oh, man. That, the energy would be through the roof, man. Super getting in trouble. It's awesome. I'm in. <laughs> Definitely get in trouble. Cause I'll I'll pour you some, I'll pour you some uh like I said, that Jack Daniels with that Milo sweet tea, like I was talking about. Oh, that on sounds my, amazing. Yeah, it's good stuff. Okay. Yeah. This has been this has been fantastic. This is this is exactly the conversation that I wanted to have. Like this is the first half of the conversation I wanted to have. Because this is really important because I think a lot of these ideas are on everyone's mind. They have questions and they don't know who or where to talk about these things with, you know, and, and I think there are a lot of people listening that wish they could have this conversation and, and me, one of them, you know, so yeah. I'm very grateful, uh, you know, to you for wanting to be, wanting to be on my podcast in this way and have these conversations and like that you're open to say these things and you're open to, you know, listen and, and talk and share because it, it's impossible because so many of us are spoken to rather than mm -hmm. spoken with, you know what yeah, I mean? Agreed. So, yeah, no, let's, when we hang up this, let's book another one and okay. we'll, we'll come back on and we'll, we'll run it again and we'll get in more trouble. I think we get progressively in more trouble as this goes on. So I think the, the fourth one that we do together is just going to be based like very, very upsetting to the establishment. <laughs> Super so I'm looking based. forward to it. It's gonna, <laughs> it will melt your computer. <laughs> <laughs> it's just, the fourth one's just going to be us saying post physique, like on, on every, every. Over, post physique, post physique, <laughs> post physique. You gotta, you gotta, you have, you got a problem with what we're saying, email me info at random men with subject line post physique. And there better be a picture of your physique. <laughs> oh, you better have, and you better have a sharp one too, saying what you're saying. Exactly. Because otherwise you're going to get, you know, sent to the, sent to the, the Chattestan Chambers, you know what I mean? <laughs> questions, <laughs> questions will be answered in in the order of quality of physique that we receive. <laughs> yes, yes, man. Yeah. Oh my gosh, this is good. Okay, um, I'm gonna get off here. I'm making steak tonight. We're making venison, so that's what I wanted to hear. Come on, dude, got to do it. Come on with it. <laughs> Let's do this again. Um, Let's do this again. I'm excited. This is good. This is good stuff, man. We'll say hi to Smoke Show for me and uh, enjoy your venison with you and uh, you and your wife and your and your upcoming son. Son, right? Son, that's what we're thinking. That's awesome. We're thinking, man. Prayers for you. Appreciate it, man. All right, take it easy. Take care, man. Have a good night. See you, boss.
Thanks for listening to this episode of the Renaissance of Men podcast. Visit us on the web at renofmen.com or on your favorite social media platform at Ren of Men. This is the Renaissance of Men. You are the Renaissance.